Three. Sério, cara. Boom, and we're live. Henry motherfucking Tudo. <laughs> World champ. And, sir, introduce yourself to everybody. Captain America. That's right. Captain Eric Albaracin. Uh, Henry's coach. You, uh, what, what, what do you do with him specifically? Well, I've been with him since 2004 and recently became his coach right before the first Demetrius Johnson fight, and I'm his head coach for MMA. And you're in disguise in case some other athletes try to swipe you. <laughs> and it's Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs> Happy Halloween, folks. So uh, first of all, man, congratulations on your victory. Um, it, what does it feel like? Oh, man, it's, uh, it, it, uh, it feels good. It feels good. Try to keep feels... this like, oh, fist away from your face. Yeah, uh, it feels good because it's... Um, God, it's. I think as a competitor, you you live for these moments. You live you you live for these fulfillments. You know. Yeah. I think somebody like and then I told people since the beginning it wasn't so much, you know, the UFC bell, but it was because it was. It, I made it about Demetrius, and it was about Demetrius. You know, because well, just, I mean, he is widely considered to be the best pound for pound fighter ever. And you're the first guy, not only to beat him, but the first guy who, not just to beat him, but I mean, beat him in like 11 years, but the first guy to win an Olympic gold medal in wrestling and a UFC championship. I mean, those are two gigantic accomplishments. Yeah, no, for sure. It's almost like, uh, God, it's, it's, I beat the greatest of, to me, the greatest of all time. And then on top of that, I be, you know, I, I can, I can make the run for, you know, who's the greatest combat athlete of all time. Yeah. Like it's a, I'm a two sport world champion. I'm just like, yeah. damn. That's I mean, crazy. you're absolutely in the running now. I mean, if if he's not the greatest of all time, I think he is. But the, the argument is that he didn't face people as good as John Jones faced, and then Fedor is the other. Fedor and Anderson Silver are the other people that are in consideration for the greatest of all time. I mean, it's it's just a subjective argument. I mean, who who knows who's right? But obviously, you beat without a doubt one of the best ever yeah yeah and, and, and like i would i would tell people there's there's a bit of uh of admiration that i had for demetrius johnson like i was uh it was it was like you know you're fighting the dude that's that's that almost seems untouchable that you a guy that makes you question yourself like whoa this is this is this this guy is that good well what's crazy is you beat him after he had stopped you just how, how long was it two years uh, about two, close to about two and a half years ago now. Yeah, about I, I was like I, I think two years and like four months. That's yeah. that's an amazing turnaround mm -hmm. between getting stopped in the first round and then coming back and and beating him and then beating him in the championship rounds is really where you pulled it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, uh, and, and absolutely. I I had studied Demetrius Johnson. Like as soon as I lost to him the first time, what I pretty much did is I got I got rid of a lot of people, including my my MMA head coach. I just, my whole philosophy was if I can't be the best, then there's something wrong. You know, emotionally, physically, everything, I was just invested. Mm -hmm. And when I lost, I'm just like, man, I, I, I need a, I, I'm looking for a better leader, you know. And, and that's kind of what I did. I ended up, you know, letting go a lot of my cornermen. You know, I started traveling the world. Went out to Singapore, went out to, uh, to Thailand, went out to... Uh, to the Netherlands, spend months and months at a time at, uh, out in Brazil. Like, I uh, I was on a quest. It was like the, I, I kind of remind myself a little like Ash Ketchum from Pokemon. Like, I was just on a venture, dude. I have no you. idea who that is, but. <laughs> Vision Quest. It's, Vision Quest. It was a, yeah. The Matthew Modine movie. <laughs> Loud and Swing. Every Loud wrestler and swing. has to watch that movie. 
And that's and 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 it be it, like I said, it became an exception. I I knew that if anybody could do it, it'd be it'd be Henry Cejudo. Like I really did. And even after the first time, Joe, when he beat me, I still when they asked me, it's like Henry, you know, like I, I would I was like, guys, I don't know, but I still know that I could beat him. Even being knocked out like two minutes and thirty six seconds, like I still knew in my heart. And you see when I sat at their press conference, I says, I know I'm still the one to beat him. <laughs> what was it about him that made you think that you could beat him? What was it about you specifically in relation to him and his skill set? It was, uh, um, I, I, if, you, if you're asking me what the difference yeah, was. Yeah, well, what was it that made you think, even after he stopped you in the first round? Oh, God, uh, I think it was more so just believing in my in my abilities. I think me just believing more. Okay, Henry, you need time. Like I was only doing MMA for three years when I fought him the first time. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, they three years. You see you fighting for the title not once but twice. That you probably been doing MMA for a long ass time. But when you fought him for the first time, it's a very that's a very short amount of time to be fighting in MMA. It's especially against a caliber athlete like Demetrius. What year did you win uh, the Olympics? In 08. Yeah, see, that is, I mean, when you're doing that, you're 100% dedicated to wrestling. Mm -hmm. You have to be, right? Mm -hmm. So were you doing any striking training at all back then? Um, I did, I did. What, what happened was once I won the Olympics, I almost kind of, I fell out of love with the sport. I fell, I fell out of love with wrestling. I remember being at the Olympics and being like, man, I just, I don't know if I have it in me no more. Just because you're burnt out? I was, yeah. I just, my whole childhood was gone because of the sport, you know? Take like, that crazy mask off, brother. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait. I've been waiting for you to say that. <laughs> How about that? We'll do it in stages. <laughs> so you, you, you fell out of love with it. I fell out of love with but it. Just, but is it just because your whole life had been dedicated to wrestling? Yeah. And you'd finally achieved the greatest of great goals. Yeah. Olympic gold medalist is the top of the mountain. No, but check this out, Joe. And it was like in, in, the, in the year of 2007, um, man, I went through the worst year ever. Like I was ready to become a world champion. I, and I went out to the world championships in 2007 and I, and I didn't even score a point. Like in the first round, like I got put out by by Iran, and uh, for some reason that whole year, man, I was just going through freaking struggles, like left and right. You're talking about just adversity. I couldn't win a tournament to save my life. What was it? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I I, I truly, truly don't know. I think I was. Uh, I think I probably began kind of falling out of love with it. And I remember there's to me there was only two tournaments that I ever wanted to win, and that was that was the Olympic trials, and eventually the Olympic Games, and. And somehow, like, because I'm correlating this with the with the fight with Demetrius Johnson, and uh, I remember, you know, just just almost being in in tears. Like, I just don't know if if this is for me. And uh, but I just stuck with it. I stuck with it. I ended up winning the Olympic trials. I ended up going to the you know the Olympic games, and I ended up pretty much falling behind in every single match uh, that I was wrestling in. So they, these are kind of the adversities that I was going through, like leading up to become an Olympic champion. You know, it's interesting when you were fighting um, Demetrius for the second time, Daniel Cormier said something very interesting. He said, most guys, he goes, I would never give a chance. You, you get stopped by DJ, and then a couple years later, you're fighting him again. Like, he's, he's going to have your number. He's going to be better in the rematch. And he goes, but Henry Cejudo is a different kind of athlete. He, and he talked about you competing and then coming back a year later and, yeah. and being, he goes, he was many times better. 
He goes, the, the amount of improvement that he got in just one year was just unbelievable. Yeah, and I think, you know, I guess you can owe that to genetics. And I, I think you can talk a lot about desire, too, just having the, the genetics. Genetics only the, get you so far. Yeah, I mean, but, but, but everybody it's also, at the Olympics has, has great genetics. For sure, but it's almost it almost becomes a a, a, a mentality. It becomes a, a philosophy. It's like you almost start doing things almost like to to not feel the to not to not feel the the pain of losing. Hmm. Like that's a motivator to not feel the pain of losing. Right. And I remember when Demetrius Johnson hit me hit me in the hit me in the leg, and I literally I, I don't think he put knew how severe it was. Like I literally sprained like a a a, 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 a severe low ankle sprain in those first thirty seconds. In the second so, fight, yeah. So I fought Demetrius Johnson like that, but it was it was to me the motivator was like, man, I don't want to feel that pain of losing no more. Mm-hmm. I hate it, man. I hate feeling second place. I hate feeling kind of. Kind of somebody's looking over me. Someone's like, almost like a manhood challenge, <laughs> and I hate that. Was it a low leg kick that uh, that that made your your ankle go? Like what was it? That- yeah, it was. Uh, there's a nerve that you have behind uh, like like the bone. It's uh, per, I think it's the peripheral yeah. per, perif- nerve. P e r. Yeah, and uh, I got hit there, so I put my foot to sleep. Just like when Michael Chandler it happened to him in it, Bellator, same thing. Exactly. Where you're stepping on it and it's just not working. And the, pro- the, the and the and and the reason uh, the reason why everybody kind of got scared. I mean, because I w- I was hurt, but I remember before the fight, I remember I, I remember I saw all my cornermen like kind of before I fought Demetrius. I remember I saw them all. Uh, I saw them all nervous, and I remember I remember grabbing my cornermen and sitting, putting them right in front of me. I remember telling them, I was like, "Hey guys, I've been here before. Like I was ranked thirty first in the world. I be I, I know I, I I became a world champion in wrestling. Like guys, I." Yeah, I want you guys to have a little faith in me, dude. But I'm gonna ask you guys one thing, and I'm I'm gonna ask you guys I'm gonna ask you guys to be composed. I said the key to winning this fight is for me to be composed. And then pretty much, there's six hours later. They uh, right before you know walk on, they start playing my song. I look back at my corner, and I said, uh, and I said, guys, I said the key to this fight. Remember, I said to be composure. So when Demetrius Johnson kicked me, like I, I, I believed in my own philosophy. I went back to all right, my composure, because I was hurt, Joe. Like he could have stopped me that, that that first round. I was forced to switch south, southpaw, which I never fight in southpaw. You know, so now I'm kind of me and Demetrius Johnson are playing poker. My whole philosophy and the key to this victory was the composure part. And uh, when he hit me. I uh, I really did. I was like, oh, my God, dude, not again, dude, not again. I'm not going to last two minutes and 36 seconds, not again. But, it, again, the motivator was not to feel the pain to lose again. Right. Like, it wasn't the desire to win. I was like, I just don't want to feel that pain anymore. As yeah. a competitor, as somebody that, 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 that's on a mission, dude, that sacrifices life. Explain to someone who's never experienced that before, what is that pain like? Like, you train for how many weeks, and then you fight... <sighs> Mighty Mouse with the title, you get stopped in the first round. What is that pain like? Oh, man, it's, I think every fighter has a spirit. Like, what is a spirit? The spirit is your, the spirit is your dream. The spirit is that, that, you know, you've watched somebody become a world champion. You want to be, hey, I want to be just like that guy. Your confidence, your self-esteem, that's, the, that's your spirit. And it's, you also, we also have a spirit of a war. That's like the, the manhood side of it. And what happens when I got stopped with Demetrius Johnson, I almost felt like, and I've never gone through this, not even in wrestling in my life, like I was, like my spirit was shot. And I had to kind of pick up my pieces to kind of start healing myself, like mentally. And I feel like, and, and, and and if you look at it, Joe, somebody like Roy Jones Jr., 
he got knocked out one time and it became a domino effect yeah because he never he never picked up those pieces he never started healing that spirit well he got knocked out again real bad right afterwards by glenn johnson too remember there's mm-hmm. two two knockouts in a row mm-hmm. yeah. tarver yeah tarver ko'd him and then right and, and but the thing is there's a lot of factors involved in that loss because i think roy was also coming off of uh, the john ruiz fight where he gained a lot of weight to get up to heavyweight and then he had to lose that weight to get down to light heavyweight again so mm-hmm. he, he was lean at heavyweight and then all of a sudden he's dropping down to 175 pounds again and he just looked like shit he looked smooth it looked like his body was all sucked in and i just think it was a bad bad weight cut and you know and i think whatever he took to get himself up to 200 pounds too was probably mm-hmm. out of his system and now his body was you know his hormones were probably all fucked up he just wasn't the same <laughs> guy i mean it's let's be real right the weight I mean, you cut's important you don't just grow to 200 pounds without some mexican <clears throat> supplements <laughs> this like right, you know what i'm saying right. i mean it'll take a long fucking time for a 168 pound fighter to get up to 200 pounds it takes a long time if you want to l- really get up to 200 pounds like a, an actual 200 pound body not just like fill yourself up with water and fat no to, to actually be 200 pounds the way he was yeah you, your body's got to your body's got to say hey man we need to fucking grow we got resources that need to be allocated towards muscle. We gotta we gotta gain all this weight because we're we're lifting weights all the time. We're doing things. You have to do something to get your body that heavy, so that then all of a sudden to shut that shit off and say, all right, now we're getting down to one seventy five, and you got to do it in a few months. I think his body was just wrecked. Yeah, yeah. Boxers don't always cut weight the right way either. Neither do uh, <clears throat> MMA fighters, well, particularly Terrible. back in the day. This, which is really interesting about the approach that you guys took to this camp that you wanted to talk about, which is a very, very scientific approach towards your recovery, towards your training methods, towards everything. I mean, you, you really had it dialed in as opposed to just ch- trying to wing it, which for many, many years was how almost every fighter did it. Yeah, and, and, and I think it's... Uh... Oh, we got a video. Look at this. That part where he got kicked, you can see his leg. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, Let that's, me see that's, 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 uh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm, like, I'm, I'm just, I almost had a heart attack. So it was, oh, it was look, right uh, there, just uh, the back of the leg, like that? Yeah. That is so crazy. Just one yeah. shin to the look, back. Look, of your but leg. I'm still flopping. Yep. I'm still flopping. Yeah. So I'm going back to that philosophy, composure. Look, I'm still flopping. But it doesn't seem like he understands what's happened to you yet. Yeah. You know, you, you, you played poker so well. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah, look, I'm still, oh, that was I remember, horrible. remember uh, as soon as that happened, I did remember the Michael Chandler fight, and I remember he went on a show and said exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. So I told uh, our other corner, Santino DeFranco, when we get in, put ice on his knee, not his ankle, because it was the knee where it happened, because right. I watched that show. And I remember watching it for that reason, to wonder why. What happened to him? It's crazy when you watch it because it's just the foot hit the back of your knee. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You can see it again. I mean, it wasn't even the hardest kick in the world. He kind of caught you at the very end with his foot, and immediately that nerve just went boing, 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 right here. (laughs) Swap. Like right there. Right. Barely barely flicked it. uh, That shit is just uh, like boing, 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 boing. You know who it also (laughs) happened to was uh, Scott Jorgensen. Did it? What fight was that? Man, you know what? I can't remember, but mm. he, he didn't win the fight. I can tell you that. Yeah. Anyways, it was uh, a, t- a terrible feeling. Terrible, terrible feeling. Wow, you poker faced your way through it. 
But, but but again, Joe, like it goes back to philosophy. Like you gotta believe in your you got you gotta be up here. There has to be a philosophy up here. Against a guy like Demetrius, like there's the it, it's it's beyond the physical and the the technical stuff. Yeah, like you gotta be you gotta be just kind of hypnotized up here. But you have to have everything, right? You have to have the physical skills, but you also have to have this unstoppable mindset. Yeah. Now, what do you, what kind of mind training do you do? Do you do you do any visualization training, or do you work with a sports psychologist? Or, um, you know what, I uh, I, I I like I like reading up on a lot of people's stories. I think people's stories are the ones that uh, that intrigue me. You know how. You know how Michael Jordan rose to the top, or uh, athletes like that. I think I think that's the stuff that I uh, I got like a human interest. Uh, that's kind of my motivation. Like reading biographies. Yeah, reading like biographies or watching uh, watching stuff on YouTube. Like uh, you know, watching like even watching even watching other sports. Like I'll, I'll watch Michael Johnson's at at times. You know, wa- watching him win the '96 Olympics. Mm-hmm. Like things like that, and 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 watching people's celebrations and and. and uh, and trying to embrace the feeling of of what they're feeling, you know, because it, it becomes like an addiction, like a drug, like going through these feelings of like, dude, I, I accomplished what I right. what I what I set out to do. Right. So you like v- seeing them accomplish these fantastic goals and visualizing yourself experiencing that exact same thing. Yeah, yeah. A- as corny as that sounds, yeah, doesn't sound corny at all, <laughs> no. especially not coming from the champ. You know, once you're the champ, all that corny shit's out the window. Obviously, it works. People start believing it. <laughs> believe, uh, all all of a sudden, I became a ten. Yeah, they believe the fuck out of it. Now they're talking about you possibly fighting T.J. Dillshaw for the bantamweight title. Uh, yeah, yeah. I that's, mean, there's uh, talk. There's talk. You know, you just hesitated and you're like, hmm, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> no, negotiations. There's, there's negotiations. beef behind that. It's not just talk. He wants it. We want it. Yeah. No, I'm sure. sure. Um, where's that at right now? Because uh, there's, there's going to be a card in January out here. It's just announced. Oh, what, when did, uh, what, what date was that? It's the same night as the Fedor-Ryan Bader fight, which pisses me off because I wanted to go see that fight. Yeah. It's January 26th. Yeah, yeah that fight's going to be at the hmm. Forum, and the uh, UFC fight, I think, is at the Staples Center. Or maybe Anaheim. Anaheim? Anaheim. Anaheim in the Pond. Oh, okay. Both huh. here. Wow. Both here in California. Well, there's 20 million motherfuckers in California. <laughs> plenty of people to go around yeah, in terms of audience yeah the, we've we've uh, i think uh, there's been talks but it's been you know you know uh we i don't think ali my manager has really truly like actually sat down and talked with the ufc and I, I, I think i think everybody wants to do it though well it's one of two things is going to happen there right it's either um i mean now the dj has gone to one um demetrius johnson just left the ufc and went over to one fc in a one fc for people who have no idea what we're talking about is a gigantic organization in asia they are literally the equivalent to the ufc in asia and although many people in america are not aware of them they don't know who they are they're a huge organization overseas absolutely gigantic and they do a fantastic job they have real high level fighters uh, ben Askren was their champion. He was undefeated over there, and he had, I, th- I think, at least one fight, maybe two fights left in his contract. I forget how many. And they made a deal, and the deal was they take Mighty Mouse, and we get Ben Askren. And so that's where it's at right now. I love the deal. I love it. I love the idea <coughs> of it. I mean, um, I feel like Mighty Mouse, you know, he um, he loves the idea of starting new in a new organization and, you know, they're going to pay that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> pay 
Hey. Nice. Yeah. All these flyweights need to get paid. Exactly. And he also likes the mentality that that organization is operated with, which is um, respect for the martial arts. They're not into this. You know, what we saw with the Conor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov fight, all the trash talking and all the, all the stuff that you're seeing that was becoming more and more prevalent in the UFC, you, uh, you don't see that at all at 1FC. And that's something that uh, Mighty Mouse is very happy about. Yeah, I think first, I think congratulations to Ben Askren. I think he's... Uh... Everybody's in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot that of dude, motherfuckers uh, are in trouble yeah. when Ben Askren yes. gets a hold of you. You're like, why can't I get up? <laughs> yeah, Ben, ben Askren's one of those guys that he's very, uh, he's a very confident, he's a very dangerous human being because he knows that he's going to be very confident about yeah. it. And I'm, I've always told people, I says, hey, dude, the, maybe the best in the world is on the UFC, man. There's, yeah. some, there's some dude by the name of Ben Askren We've that will take you down. We've been his praises for years. <laughs> That will take people think Khabib's uh, control is good up top. You wait till you get a you know four time NCAA finalist, two time NCAA champ on top of you. That, and two thousand eight Olympian, his teammate. Yeah, and, and and Olympian. I mean, the dude is the dude is he's a bad matchup for anybody, Joe. Anybody. No, Ben Askren. I mean, there's a reason why he's undefeated, and he hasn't been hit in several fights. He was detailing when was the last time he got hit. You know, I had him on the podcast because I, I wanted to let people know about him. I mean, I've been a big fan of, ba- fan of Ben Askren's from back when he was a Bellator champion. And if you watch his fights in Bellator against Koroskov and, yeah. and Lima. Lima, Lima's a beast, man. And he just dominated him. Just control- I mean, Lima fucks people up, man. Lima's a dangerous, dangerous cat. Very. And Ben Askren just, whoop, oh, you're on your back again. Look at that. Yeah. You can't get up. And you take him punches you know and he's uh it's just a different caliber of wrestling and i've said it many many times and i'm sure you believe it as well it's the most important skill for mma is wrestling it's it dictates where the fight takes place if you want to stand up you you, the guy can't take you down chuck liddell style and if you want to go to the ground you're the one who gets to dictate where the fight takes place that's if you're the superior wrestler I mean, it's the the best base for MMA. I really believe that. And especially a guy like Ben, because I think Ben knows that his his striking's not that good. Right. So he just relies on this is what I, this is what I know. I do it better than anybody, and I'm gonna control you. This is and and you're gonna know how I'm gonna do it. You know. So that's what that's what makes Ben Askren dangerous. He's so dangerous. I mean, a, a real bad fight for him would be someone that can figure out how to keep it standing. Like Jay Heron gave him a real tough fight in Bellator because Jay Heron is a good wrestler and kept mm-hmm. the fight standing. Um, high school. Yeah, I forget what it, what his take on that fight was. We talked about <coughs> it on the podcast, but I don't think he was too happy with his training for that fight. But, you know, someone like Tyron Woodley, who's also a very good wrestler, who's a very dangerous striker, would be a tough matchup for him. But they're really fr- close friends and training partners. Yeah, well, this is another thing too. On on the flip side, is like uh, Tyron's been wrestling him since for years, I think. Mm-hmm. So he knows what the Ben Askren experience is, you know, and yeah. that's scary. Yeah, I mean, people would be lucky to, you know, kind of take him down if he really want to give it, uh, no takedowns. He wouldn't. He just wouldn't let people take him down. Yeah, Pettis was talking about it. You know, he was saying, "Listen, it was back when Pettis was a champ." He said, if I was forced to fight Ben Askren, he goes, it would be a fucking terrible fight for me. <laughs> He's like, that guy just take me down and beat the shit out of me. Yeah. He's like, that's what he it. does. If Ben was to win a, a belt, the 2008 Olympic team would have five belts. Henry gets two, DC has two, 
and and uh, Ben Askren would have one. That's five UFC belts if if he came into the UFC and won a belt. His teammates. Well, they are going to open up eventually that 165 pound division, which is what Ben is shooting for. Ben would like that division, um, you know. And if he said that if you know he had 165 and Tyron kept the welterweight title, that would be great for him. I just don't see the UFC doing a five pound weight difference when all the other weight differences are so huge. I feel like the smart move would be 10 pounds every every spot, 35, 45, 55, 65, 75, like move 70 to 75. Like to. when the UFC had a light heavyweight division initially, that the division was a 200-pound division. Mm-hmm. When Tito Ortiz first won it, I believe, it was 200-pound division. And then they raised it up to 205. And I think just – and they needed a 195 too, I really believe, and a, probably a 225. You know, I think that would that would – round it all out which probably will all happen eventually yeah yeah it's that's interesting to see how that uh how that unfolds but as of now it's man ashkin he's a beast ashkin's gonna be fighting for the belt pretty soon well he's calling out darren till he wants to fight darren till (laughs) which i love i love that fight that is that is a classic striker versus grappler matchup especially after tyron just smashed him i mean uh tyron in the hype train for yeah. Darren Till, we we learned a lot about Darren. Darren is a sensational striker, very very dangerous striker, but keeps his hands low, keeps his chin up high, and you know, Tyron has proven himself to be really dangerous even against elite strikers. You know, you look at the Wonder Boy fights. I've said this time and time again. You look at those two fights. Wonder Boy is known as being one of the best strikers to ever compete in the UFC. He's got a crazy, I think he was 57-0 and 0 as a kickboxer, something fucking yeah, spectacular crazy. like that. Yeah. Amazing striking skills. But yet Tyron hurt him in both fights. In both fights, Tyron was the one who landed big shots and had Wonder Boy badly hurt. And then you look at the, the same thing with Darren Till. Darren Till is known as being this unbelievable striker. Tyron clips him, drops him, and then strangles him. <laughs> so, you know... It, it 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 all changes with MMA. These guys can be yep. these guys can be uh, the best, even the best wrestlers. Like sometimes it it doesn't translate to the sport. Like it takes a, a special somebody to adapt to the sport of MMA, not just a wrestler. Yep. And I think Tyron has has adapted to his time to his right hand. Uh, you know, man, if you're able to take out two strikers like that, man, you're the real deal. He's un- unquestionably the real deal. I'm fascinated to see uh, whether or not Nurmagomedov and um, Ben Askren go at it. That, oh. that, that to me, <laughs> if I had a fight that I really... What are you saying? Floyd Mayweather what? Floyd Mayweather's stop, next for Stop Khabib. with all that nonsense. I, That's just what we were talking about. That is not going to happen. He has the same agent. Listen, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> but, that's a, but Khabib is much more of a grappler than he is a, or, uh, than he is a striker. I mean, Connor is a striker. That, that sort of made sense. If, if you want to talk about levels, I think... Uh, Ben's, I, th- I think Ben's the, probably the better, the better grappler. Who the fuck knows? That's what I want to see. No, I want to see that. Fight. Th- there's, there's levels. Like even though like they don't give black belts in wrestling, there's, there's, there's levels to yeah, that. Yeah, there's and, levels. And, and, and I think Ben Ashton was one of the greatest folk star riders of all time. Like that's how dangerous he is. Yeah, he was putting the best, kid. the best kids in the world in pretzels and submissions. They just wouldn't get out of his. Yeah. He's he's like a bowl constrictor. Well, he's he's stunning in his ability to control guys. Like you're like, what the fuck, man? Like Koroshkov, 
I mean, and Lima are two great examples because you look at those guys in Bellator and they just smash people. Korshkov has one of the craziest spinning back kick knockouts I've ever seen in my life. He sent this dude flying through the air. Did you see that like a couple of fights ago? The Grand Prix. Yeah. You see that? It's yeah. fucking nasty. Yeah. He hits this dude with a spinning back kick and literally like launches him into space mm -hmm. and then smashes him when he goes down to the ground. I mean, you look at what Liam has been able to do to people. When I mean, the, the Roy McDonald fight was a very close fight. Look at this. Watch this. Look at this. Boom! Yeah, I think I was that <laughs> I mean, fight. he lost that dude. <laughs> Is that yeah. in Boise? I don't you know where that was. Saying. But so Koreshkov, you know, if you watch the Koreshkov fight with with Ben Askren and it's a mauling it's 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 just a guy <laughs> just getting fucked up that's <laughs> oh, what that god. fight is oh god Ben Askren just dominated him like absolutely dominated him see the dude tried to jump back and landed it landed right as he was in the air <laughs> ow yeah. chihuahua yeah, and no, and Ben, oh, yeah. and, 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 and this Italy. and this guy never got a punch off of Ben Askren. It was a, I mean, it was just, a total uh, domination, same as was... the Lima fight. Lima crushes people, man. Yeah. Lima's one of the scariest strikers. I mean, and he knocked out uh, Korshkov. I mean, Lima smashes people, yeah. but you see Lima against Ben Askren. I mean, obviously it was a younger Lima. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got more experience now, but the difference was so stunning. What do you? Yeah. What is this? This is, a, this is Askren Lima. No, it's not. No. <laughs> no, those are two Chinese guys, bro. <laughs> yeah. This is not Askren and Lima. You got to trust me. <laughs> this is not Askren and Lima either. I'm sure the video is titled that, but I I'm said, is Joe being a bully? You got to trust me. <laughs> 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 those dudes are not the same guy. Joe, you're losing your patience, man. Look there it is. There it is. Oh, yeah. Man. <laughs> I mean, the, the, just the way he manhandled them. Like, his wrestling is just, you see guys that are used to defending takedowns, and then they find themselves on their back, and you say, holy shit, man. I think he did get up kicked here, and his nose got broken. Oh, yeah, he got cracked. I mean, he, Lima's a fucking monster, man. He's man, a super really. dangerous striker, and he's huge for the weight class. You stand next to Lima, you're like, Jesus, how do you make 170? He str uh, he does it in the in the jacuzzi at the hotel. I've seen him. Yeah, no, it's he's tough. he's struggling to make that weight. He's a big guy, but anyway, point being, Ben Askren uh, at one seventy, super super interesting fight. I would like to uh, the personally the fight that I would like to see. I like to see him and uh, him and uh, Kobe, Kobe Covington. Ben and Kobe, yeah, yeah. that would be really interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think, but isn't Kobe next in line for the title? I mean, I think he's got the interim belt. If he has the interim belt, I'm, surpri I'm surprised he's still have the White House. Belt. Huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah maybe the, it's I in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have it anymore. It's sitting <laughs> in the White House. But I mean, did they didn't strip him? Did they? Because there was some talk of stripping him because he was supposed to. Yeah, not that I know of. I don't think there was ever a strip. So I think they're. I think they're trying to market it. So I think as soon as you you get the champ. Wikipedia here says he was the interim from June 9th to September 8th. Oh, so they did strip him. Yeah. Oh, so they did. Strip so him. the the stripping was because they wanted him to fight on the Darren Till card. When Darren Till fought Tyron, they wanted mm -hmm. him to fight Tyron. And apparently he had gone through, you know, hard training camp. He was all busted up. He needed time to recover. So yeah. I guess they stripped him. Yeah. That whole, man, 
interim titles interim titles are like attached with velcro they just disappear <laughs> they get yanked off you <laughs> they're yeah not, seriously they're, they're not they're not really they're not really like especially at usc 229 i mean they all had belts uh, tony ferguson had a belt connor had a belt you know obviously khabib had his belt so he had three people walking around with belts <laughs> the tony ferguson one to me is uh, is a shame it's a shame that a guy gets injured and then they strip him like that. That doesn't make any sense to me. I didn't like that one. That yeah. one bothered me. Uh, I feel like Tony should still have the interim title. I really do. Yeah, but that was like the third time that fight have, had fallen, I right? I know. It sucks. But the other one wasn't his fault. The other one was Khabib. Khabib, right? Khabib was supposed to make the weight. And, he, you know, so he got two to, two to one. Medically two to one. That's pulled a good out. argument. Uh, how many one. times did Khabib pull out and how many times did Tony pull out? So he pulled out once for sure because he was injured, the last uh -huh. one, when the, his knee blew apart. And then Khabib definitely got yanked off the card oh, once with the weight, the weight cut, remember? Yeah. The weight cut was so bad that his kidneys mm -hmm. were failing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Either way. We've been there. Yeah, that, that's the fight. Now, do you, do you like fighting at 35? Because I know you fought at 35 for a while when you were struggling to make flyweight. <clears throat> you, had, you had some issues early on in your career where you really mm -hmm. didn't make the weight very well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was, uh, God, I was, I was getting older, I think, in my career. I think the reason why I started having weight problems was because of, uh, I was just getting older and I was doing some crazy stuff. Like, I used to cut, like, my, this like, I used to, I used to, uh, I used to, to cut about 16 pounds, like, in, in, uh, two, two-hour sessions. What? Yeah, as a as as a flyweight or supposed to be flyweight. Why were you doing that? <laughs> because I I felt like it, because I'm a wrestler. I think uh, uh, my my whole philosophy at first when I when I got into MMA um, was kind of like I, I in wrestling we we would never get the same recovery. I know it's stupid, it's stupid as heck, but we would we would we would never get the recovery that a fighter gets. So to to me it was like, dude, I, I can I can stretch this as as long as I can, and and I can suffer the day of wins, but I'm gonna recover within 24, 20, 28 hours sometimes, you know. So to me, I I was looking at it a very I, I just at an odd way, so and, you and just it finally had, started catching up to me. So you just had confidence in your body's ability to bounce back, even though you're putting it through an extraordinary amount of stress and losing massive amounts of weight really quickly. Yeah, you just felt like. Your body could handle it. You're yes. tough. Mm -hmm. You're used to it. Yeah, it was. It was the whole because you know in wrestling we would make weight like every uh, every every week. Sometimes we would wrestle so much that we're we're used to kind of like that whole that whole struggle side of things. And then okay, we wrestle again, we do it again. What kind of weight cut were we talking about when you were wrestling? How much were you cutting? Um, uh, um, and I was a lot more disciplined then. But I was probably doing about twelve pounds. But I had no fat. Like at that at that time, I was eating just as healthy and as clean as possible, because I w I would make weight every 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 you know every three weeks. I had a tournament. You know, I had George Lockhart on, and he was explaining to me that a lot of people think that when you cut weight, that you know, like you're cutting out fat. He's like, you're not cutting out fat. You're cutting out water, and it actually helps to to have more muscle because muscles. Yeah, mostly water, water. Mm -hmm. so you, you're just draining out your muscles then replenishing them you know when he was explaining that to me i was like oh, i never really thought about it that way yeah that like a guy like a yoel romero who's very muscular can actually cut <laughs> more weight <laughs> yeah yeah now you're a pretty muscular guy for a flyweight so you were walking around how many pounds over 
Oh man, I was I was probably cutting for like maybe twenty, twenty five. Wow. So you're walking around like one fifty. Yeah. And getting down to twenty five. Yeah. Holy shit. I just I just had lost. I just you know, a lot of it too you um <laughs> because you fight three times a year, like you're not always you're not always honest with your diet either. You know, come from coming from Mexican descent, man, we like to we love to eat, man. <laughs> you go to my mom's house and it's it's gonna be laid down. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're in camp um, how do you organize your nutrition? Oh, this, I'm I'm disciplined. I have a I have a meal prep company. They deliver my food like every three like every three days. And is your meal prep based on uh, your suggestions to them or your recommendations and directions to them? Yeah, no. A lot of it's based on kind of well, uh, 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 my diet's just according to kind of like my training schedule. So like my, my training is very very organized. Like now, Joe, I'm like a, a, a pretty much I'm a I'm a I'm a professional now, I guess you could say. Like I I do things, you know, the right way. I use the whole scientific route, the nutrition route. Just uh, almost like how Bernard Hopkins kind of, as he got older, man, he kind of changed his whole philosophy, started using science more. Mm-hmm. So I think everything now in my life, when I get ready for fights, is all based on it's all based on science. How did Bernard change his training? Do you know? Um, he, he, he just started recovering more. I think, uh, he started using a lot of those neural stems, um, uh, hyperbaric chambers, th- things of that matter, uh, things of that matter. And just more scientific based, like just this whole training all, like all around. And did you incorporate any of those methods? I did. I did actually, I ended up, uh, you know, connecting with this, uh, connecting with this company called, uh, neural force one, you know, science based company. And I actually wanted to bring them in to kind of to kind of talk about it, Joe, because this right here, man, just changed my my whole philosophy. We're talking about the whole weight cuts, how, how the whole weight uh, weight cuts, how I struggled to to how my whole training has changed because of because of because of science hmm. and a, a science that's very uh, that <laughs> a science that's very uh, I guess complex. You could say you got to have like the right people, man, like dictating your schedule. So when you set up a training camp like this, how far in advance do you sit down and work out all the details? It's almost like the the morning that we wake up is what we know we're going to do. Right, but how like say if you know you have a fight in July, when would you start preparing for that and when do you sit down and map everything out? Well, we try to map things out maybe about 3 months in advance, kind of like a preparation and uh to leading to the camp. And that's kind of like the phase that we're on now. Like now we're on, like you know, if I fight, if it is that I fight in January, it's almost like our schedule. It's like there, there's, there's, there's a pretest to the big test. So tomorrow's November first. So if you were getting ready for a fight in January, you would start ramping up somewhere around now. Yeah, but it would, it would, it would be more of a. Yeah, it, it would. I think the first, the first month leading up to the next eight weeks would be a lot of it would be a uh, technical and tactical just working on those particular areas that we're that we believe we're going to be in so you're not doing anything crazy strength and conditioning wise you're not trying to break your body down no no it could because it's all it's all a learning phase at that point you know working the body preparing the body with a lot of body motion movements and things of that matter kind of just bringing more circulation to certain parts of my body than rather than you know somebody picking up a kettlebell and throwing it and and, and crazy things like that like like it, it it's all it's all sports like specific right right range of motion so how do you organize this like how what who what is the team of people that you use and like who's responsible for what yeah well well like I said I think uh, you got a whole crew in the back people don't know <laughs> the man the captain man. america's with you but you get you get the rest of the Avengers are all waiting in the waiting room yeah the, the, the yeah we the, for, I was going to say, we first found him when uh, he hurt his hand, 
and he had to rehab it. Hold on, let me get this off. Oh, see, it's so, going in layers. It's going yeah. in layers. <laughs> so he had hurt his hand before uh, um, he, his first fight with Sergio Pettis, and I was trying to find any way for him to still compete. And we found somebody using this machine, which led us to actually NeuroForce One and Kareem and all these guys. And we tried to force it for him to get back in time. And I have a video of him just screaming in pain, trying to get there. And we thought we stayed off it for a couple of weeks. And then the, the day of uh, the face-off, he went to cut weight and he said his wrist kept slipping out. And we had to pull him from the fight. We went to see the doctor. The doctor said his no way shouldn't fight so what was the then, injury uh i think it was a it ended up being something with Henry? a sprained ligament yeah i think it was uh i had sprained like uh one of my ligaments in my hand so there's just there's nothing i could do like i would i would i would open the cap bottle for the for you know to kind of to brush my teeth and uh like it when it hurt to that point i'm just like man i i, I can't do anything so then I, the, you know, I ended up, uh, they ended up, Eric here ended up connecting me with, with Neural Force and found out that they had like these certain machines that help you heal faster. And what did the machines do? Accelerated recovery. So it was like NeuroStim and they have about a thousand programs on it and it just forced him to, to recover a lot faster. The, the best example was UFC fighter Pantoja. He was on the Ultimate Fighter 24 with us, our number one seed that we picked, Alexander Pantoja. I saw him blow f three ligaments out of his elbow, and he started crying because he had a fight in eight weeks in Iron no Scotland. And um, I said, no, 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 don't go home tomorrow. He's supposed to be going back home to Brazil. And I said, no, 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 let's try this. You got to try it. And they did it twice, two sessions a day for 10 days, and he went back and he, f and he fought. He fought that guy and beat him. He rear naked choking that guy, Neil Siri, and wow. put that guy in retirement. So after that, I was like, we need these guys. Henry, whatever these guys did to Pantoja, whatever the, we need to do it for you. And so that's when how guy, it started. When a guy gets injured like that and you're still going through camp, how do you work around that injury? You just say, okay, there's nothing squeezing, nothing where you're putting any strain in those tendons, nothing where you're doing anything with that hand that's going to re-injure it? I think you just have to hope for somebody to wrap it very well. Like, they're, you, like you're screwed. Yeah. Like having like a hand injury is like the probably the worst injury you could have. I mean, we, we eat with these hands, you know. Right. This is our... This is how we survive. Yeah. And when you have an injury like that, there's you're going to be fighting with the other. <laughs> Do you remember uh, when Uriah Faber fought Mike Brown mm -hmm. and broke both hands? Yeah. And just started throwing elbows? And slapping them. It just <laughs> didn't give in for a second. Yeah. That's how tough that motherfucker is. Yeah. Two broken hands just trying to find a way to win. Yeah, it's miserable. That's a, yeah. It was a title fight, too. Yep, yep. You do amazing things for title fights. Yeah. No, but I, I I want I wanted to bring in uh, Joe. If you allow me, I'm uh, because I'm honored, man. And I think uh, I think uh, I, I I brought them in Joe because I want them to kind of share, uh, you know, kind of like the new age stuff, like something that's just taken over the top. Mm -hmm. So Ke Ke uh, Kevin, if you can hear me, come oh, on. Oh, he can't. There's a bit long delay. There's like a thirty second delay. You can go grab him. Okay, if you I'll grab him. Yeah, go grab him, Captain. He's going to come back with a new layer removed. <laughs> He's going to come back with a cape. He's going to come back naked. <laughs> uh, we don't have another microphone, though, unfortunately. So he's going to have to take your spot because yeah. there's not, not another microphone. You could Captain America, man. When we use a fourth microphone, we actually have to set it up, and it's not up right now. And Joe, what do you think of Captain America? Here? He's hilarious. <laughs> I think that we got to him. <laughs> 
um, you know how you are with uh, 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 with Eddie. That's kind of how how he uh, how I am with him. You know, it's, it's, it's that it's that no, it's that certain relationship. Yep, yep. <laughs> hey man, that helps. How are you, sir? Welcome. Good. How you doing, Joe? Push up. Tell everybody who you are. Yeah, I mean, I'm Kevin Longoria. I am the chief science officer for NeuroForce One. There you go. And then I'm a neurophysiologist as well. So keep this about like a fist from your face. Okay. So um, tell us what your role was in camp and uh what, what you did to, to help him get ready cool yeah so uh neuroforce one is a neuroscience based training company and a medical grade diagnostic testing company as well where are you guys so, at? Uh, we're out of scottsdale arizona so what we really uh focus on which a lot of companies aren't talking about is the role of the gut and the mind in conjunction with your physical training so essentially what we do is we start off with a really comprehensive baseline assessment we want to run them through everything so the traditional functional threshold powers, autonomic nervous system, DC brain potentials. And really what you want to do is you want to put somebody on a, on a normal curve. What is a DC brain potential? DC brain potential is a... It's like uh, you want to be like <laughs> Daniel Cormier. Yeah, sounds like... You got to get like, that DC brain potential. We all want to be a little bit like DC. <laughs> but uh, basically it's a, an objective measurement of your central nervous system. So you can actually... Your central nervous system is basically the data aggregator, if you will. So it has to take information from your metabolic systems, your autonomics kind of coordinate things like neuromuscular and me metabolic efficiency. That's kind of the, the data center, if you will. So this is a measurement of, of potential, basically how much energy you have in the, in the central nervous system to go coordinate neuromuscular and metabolic efficiencies, which is really what we focus on. So, and so is this on like a chart? Are you getting it? Like, is there a number reading that you're getting? Like, what is it that? Correct. Specifically for DCs, it's going to be in millivolts. And then you just compare that to normative ranges. But most importantly, what it is, is trending data over time. This is an assessment that we would do on Henry every single morning. It's a home test kit. We really believe in just collecting as much data as possible and trending data. That way, when you see a, ch a change, essentially you get predictability in terms of, you know, today's a no-go day because central nervous system is diminished. We're just going to be going through the motions. We're not going to make physiological adaptations uh, and your inflammation is really high. No-go because we're not going to go risk injury when we can't make adaptations. So this is a measurement we would do every single morning where we can look at autonomic nervous system, which is basically things like recovery, sympathetic, parasympathetic balance, DC brain potentials, and metabolic systems. And what is, what is measuring all these things? Is there a device? Is it a... Yeah, yeah. This is a pretty amazing device. We actually... Uh, Got it from the UFC Performance Institute. You know, shout out to those guys, Clint, Bo, and Roman over there. Um, set us up with this technology. It's a basically a chest strap that does heart rate variability, so time and frequency domain analysis, and then it does DC brain potential. So a little sticker right here on your forehead. Uh, basically four minutes, you just kind of relax, and we collect pretty amazing data, and it breaks it down into four different categories, what's called windows of trainability. So it says today we should focus on strength and power or skill acquisition based on metabolic readiness, autonomic readiness, and DC brain potentials. So what is our body primed to go do today? Because if you're not primed, your n nervous system doesn't have the energy, you're just going to be going through the motions. So you're sort of there to dictate when it's going to be a hard day, when it's going to be an easy day? Correct, yeah. And that's something, as you, I'm sure you guys know, in wrestling, it's, it's always hard, always let's go. Um, so this was a, a little bit of an issue in the camp at the very beginning, if you could imagine. Henry wakes up, it's a sparring day, we're maybe even supposed to do two-a-days. He wakes up feeling really good, and nervous system is out of whack. It's like, sorry, man, I know you feel good, but you're not, you know. Wow. Not, yeah, so we would go a no-go that day, and... You know, as you could see, it, it all worked out in the long run. Well, so. it worked out fantastic. But was that weird for you to feel good and then to be told you got to chill out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, uh, it, it almost takes a while to kind of adapt. But I started, as I started recognizing like my body change and how I felt and sparring and how they were and how kind of I, I just felt recovered. I was like, God, this is, 
this is crazy. Like, I, I didn't run at all this whole camp. So do you get a baseline off of this? Eric, you got to stop moving around. You're freaking me out. <laughs> He's doing hand signals back there. He's freaking like me out Translating as well, for the deaf people. <laughs> so what, do you do a, a baseline on this before you get started? And then you, as before camp gets started, and then when camp starts ramping up, then you start measuring all the various details? Correct, yeah. So we do a, a comprehensive baseline assessment, including the Omega Wave, as well as you know six or eight hours of other testing, everything that you could think of under the sun. Then we put together uh, basically columns of this is what you're suboptimal at, this is what you're average at, this is what you're really damn good at. So basically what we want to do is exploit your functional strengths. It's what you're good at. But then we also want to focus on your functional deficiencies. In a sport like MMA, we also sometimes have the advantage of looking at your opponent and making certain assumptions in terms of their weaknesses, their strengths. Going against somebody like DJ, you don't, you don't really have that advantage. So what we really needed to focus on is what Henry's really good at, his ground game. You look, you know, we're doing nervous system assessments while he's on the ground his sparring partners, their stress systems are going like crazy. He's calming down because this guy likes to be on the floor rolling around. So we pinpoint these little strategic def, uh, def, uh, strengths and deficiencies, and then we target all of his uh, nutrition, supplementation. A big thing that we focus on is nutrient timing, something that's not really talked about as well. But when you're talking about gut health and you know recovery, managing the, the hormones associated with exercise, you got to be getting in the, the right nutrients in your, your energy, anabolic, and growth phases. So, so for nutrient timing, you're talking about like when you're actually eating and what you're eating, so you're planning that out as well? 100%, yes. So we put together a nutrition program. And because training varies every morning, we're deciding what we're going to do for the day. It's completely dynamic. So we're kind of reinventing the game of periodization and programming because you can't give somebody an eight-week plan. You have to check every single day. This is how you stay very dynamic and you avoid plateaus and just the issues. You know, it's always going to lead to suboptimal performance if you're programming out. So every day we adjust. You know, we're doing this intensity of training. We did a VO2 max assessment. So we know exactly how much glycogen you're burning at various uh, levels of intensity. We do heart rate tracking during your training. All right, this is exactly what you have to replace following. So I'm standing on the sidelines, you know, after every practice, mixing up custom supplements for him as well. So this is something. What kind of stuff? um, You know, we have our own supplement line right now. Um, Frankly, not because the world needed another supplement line. It's not really what our goal was. Um, In in sports like this, you have to be so careful what you're putting in these guys' body. Uh, So we just went the route of going GMP certified, WADA, USADA approved on everything we do. Um, Eventually, we want to, you know, try and work with a badass company because we're not, we don't want to be in the supplement game. For us, it was just quality control. Um, so uh, being a nervous system-based company, obviously we're doing things like omega-3, DHAs, BCAAs, you know, to, to maintain, put on a little bit of muscle. Um, we do a lot of, big one that I believe in the, is the generation you can, the super starch. Very good without a big glycemic, you know, big insulin response, but very good at replenishing your glycogen stores following to minimize cortisol and inflammatory responses and things like that. So um, every day it's a little bit different, but uh, yeah, we, we ended up going with our own line. And one of the biggest things that we, we never really talk about in the fight as well is the, the role that gut health plays. So that's something Henry does year round, regardless of when we're fighting, is take our line, which is called Freedom Cleanse Restore. And this is world renowned, um, you know, utilized by university researchers all, all around the world right now. And basically, it's all just about restoring good gut bacteria, prebiotics, probiotics, and lymphatic cleansing. And this is going to be something um, that really played a big role in his weight cut as well. It's kind of a missing link that athletes aren't talking about. But good gut health is going to help with serotonin production, so recovery, relaxation, mood, you know, production of brain-derived neurotropic factors. So our, our nervous system can make these adaptations and learn new skills and things along these lines. So this is something, you know, in my opinion, a big reason why, uh, you know, he had the issue with DJ the first time around. Henry Henry will tell the story like he, he had 
gut inflammation so bad that people would say good luck before the fight tap his gut and and that hurt him you know that's not normal and that all goes back to the issues associated with weight cutting as we were talking about a little bit mm -hmm. but uh getting that gut health right no inflammation and, and that goes a long way now how long have you guys been in business for uh, we've only been in business for about eight months. We're, we're still very new. Um, been working with Henry a little bit longer than that. Um, but yeah, this, this company's just getting off the ground. We, we kind of rebranded a few months ago. Just opened our first facility as well out in Scottsdale. What, what is your background in? Um, I'm, a, I'm a physiologist. I opened the first mobile medical grade diagnostic testing company in Arizona. So basically, I, I would have these diagnostics, and largely it was trying to trying to fix the healthcare system a little bit. You know, uh, we, we want individualized solutions. We want data driven outcomes, right? You want quantifiable progress. So people want to feel good about what they're doing, but maybe a doctor can't afford a, this big ass metabolic cart, or they don't know how to use it. So what I did is I purchased this equipment, hired technicians, and we would bring it mobile. You know, technology is getting smaller, more mobile. So this was my idea of, of how I would go make my little dent in the healthcare system. Um, you know, there were issues with scalability in terms of finding good technicians, but the goal is just to go out there and provide data-driven solutions, right? We, we live in a world of, of subjectivity, guesswork, a very punishment-oriented fitness system where it sucks to start working out. You, you typically gain weight if you're doing the right stuff because you're getting hydrated. You go get injured. You know, the goal is to redefine how we assess people so that we can find these little little tweaks for positive reinforcement and that uh, goes a long way with healthcare as well as fitness so you guys mostly working with civilians are you working with pro athletes or uh, right now we're in the research and development phase so we're really only working with guys like uh, Henry Victoria Anthony a, a very badass wrestler we're working with right now as well um, just some amazing people uh, largely for research and development we we trade them the training for the data you know and you, how'd you, you guys get together uh, we've been working with Henry about a year. He, uh, I, he knew our CEO, Kareem Amin, uh, a great guy. We kind of all circle around Kareem. He brought us all together. Um, but, uh, you know, he came in probably about eight months ago for a little bit before the first camp. And we met, talked, and, you know, Henry was straight up. He's like, man, you know your stuff, but you don't know MMA. So I took that, you know, personally, we, you know, spent a lot of time together. I had to learn the sport. I'm a physiologist, not an MMA physiologist. So we really took the time to get to know each other, you know, hang out a lot now. I, I got to go to his house and wake him up every day for eight weeks. So that was, we got to know each other pretty well. I do his meal <laughs> too, preps and stuff. Too much. Too much. <laughs> yeah. That's a fantastic combination though. A guy like you who knows so much about the body and recovery and a, a real super high level Olympic gold medalist athlete. I mean, when you get that combination, I mean, that is, that's really a dream for a guy uh, like you and for a guy like you. Like, for both of you guys to come together like this, yeah, now man. I understand why you wanted to bring him on as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, you know. Uh, if you I, understand half of, if you understand half of I it. I don't. I can pretend. I'm like, yeah, yeah, the DC mind thing. That, yeah. Yeah, that's, that shit's important. But, no, I mean, I, I do feel uh, honored and blessed to be able to work with somebody like Henry. He, he's the hardest working guy out there. And, and, of course, the hard work goes a long ways. But, man, this guy's a genetic freak as well. I, I've had the ability to test Olympic athletes. Um, uh, many other sports as well. This guy makes adaptations faster than anybody. He came off a of, you know 12 weeks, eight, 16 weeks maybe of not training. VO2 is already in the high 60s. Functional threshold powers that would go compete with the you know world class Ironmen that I'm training and things as well. And then I mean we we did some amazing stuff. If you looked at the body composition changes that we did in seven weeks, it wasn't even a full eight week camp. Um, he put on 4.2 pounds of skeletal muscle mass, like good mass. Which as a physiologist, I would call bullshit on if I didn't see it with my own two eyes. That's pretty but, incredible. Yeah, incredible. And and you know Henry will tell you he may be picked up weights like three or four times. 
we don't really do traditional strength training because, you know, a lot of people just, it's called vector-based training. So a lot of people do things like squats and deadlifts. This is an axial plane. Like we don't live in this up and down plane. So we break it down by vector. What angles does he need to exert and absorb force in very effectively? And very rarely does that come down to actually utilizing weights. We do things like positional isometrics and eccentric training and things along these lines. Number one, they integrate with the nervous system very effectively. Isometrics. Yeah, positional like, isometrics. Like what kind of uh, like planks? Um, I mean, that's that's kind of a low level of it. Yeah, largely what you would want to do is like a biomechanical assessment and look at overactive and underactive muscles. And you put them in very specific positions and you leverage what's called recipro reciprocal inhibition. So basically, in the most basic term, like when I'm flexing my bicep, my tricep is relaxing. So you'd hold certain positions so that you want to turn on certain muscles and kind of turn off other ones. And it's kind of a, a high level. Of, of PNF stretching, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. So this is what would be done in like a PT office. So in, in like for wrestling, like what kind of exercises would you do that would inc incorporate those methods? I mean, wrestling is, you know, largely a torsional sport. So mm -hmm. when it comes to wrestling, we do things like, like Kaiser, like pneumatic compressions and things like that. So instead of using weights, we use air pressure, basically. It's very smooth, very low risk of injury. And they live in this, um, this torsional plane. So you do a lot of transverse plane. And we do a lot of velocity-based training as well. Actually, really interesting, a study that was published recently, uh, they had a lot of guys working on it for a full year. Some only did velocity, never actually picked up a weight. The other ones did traditional strength training. The people who did velocity-based training, not, no actual weight training, got stronger with less muscular hypertrophy. I mean, they didn't get as big, but they were stronger at the end of the day. So when you look at something like wrestling and MMA where you got to make a low weight, but you want to be as strong as possible, you know, velocity-based training is kind of the way of the future. So this is kind of our general gym concept that we're building right now is, is you know, the gym of the future may not need weights. You know, we're going to be next door to these CrossFit gyms where they're throwing all these weights over their head, getting injured. We're next door, empty gym, and people are getting stronger. That's, that's kind of the, the gym of, of the future the way we see it. How would you define velocity-based training? Um, so basically what you want to do is it's kind of like the new one rep max. We all know one rep maxes aren't the safest thing to perform, right? Um, so you would, uh, there's different assessments. Actually, what I'm wearing here on my wrists right now, this is the wearable tech of the future. This is something we're testing right now. This does velocity. So I could stand in any position. I could do a, a push press or I could do a punch. This is going to measure my velocity. Your max velocity at no weight would be your one rep max velocity, basically. And then you're going and you're doing your training. So max velocity every single rep. When you hit 20% dampening, so say I was at 10 meters per second, as soon as I hit 8, meter, eight meters per second, I stop. So this is kind of what they call fatigue. So you stop that. So instead of doing, you know, you're going to do eight reps. You do as many reps as you can until you reach a certain dampening of velocity. And what are you doing them with? Like um, largely things like the Kaiser, the functional mm -hmm. trainer, if you're familiar so with you're that. So you're just blasting. Band work. Yeah, things like that. I mean, very rarely we'll throw like, you know, Indian clubs and things like that in there as well. So it all depends on the sport and what we're focusing on that day, you know, metabolic readiness, things along those lines. But it's all just about training in the right vectors and, and being able to not only put out force, but absorb force as well, which nobody really talks about. And if you look at largely other professional sports, all these injuries are happening in the deceleration phase. So when people are trying to slow down, this is absorbing force. This is kind of similar to some of the, the pieces that just aren't trained in MMA as well. You guys got to be able to absorb force just like you put it out. Now, when you're this wrist thing that you're wearing, it measures velocity. 
So how is it doing that? Um, so basically, I have one here, and then I have one on my shoe as well. So it can do it by using two sensors. It can measure relative velocity. So it's reading one relative to the other. This is also doing everything that a, a badass traditional wearable would do as well. So it's doing my heart rate, heart rate variability, which is actually clinical grade. Everything we do has got to be clinical grade because what's the point of collecting data if it's shit, right? right. Um, and then it does pulse oximetry. So I'm looking at my oxygen saturation. Uh, the next version is going to be able to do hydration, all kinds of badass stuff. What's really cool about it as well as it can measure form. Any exercise that you're doing, we can compare you essentially to an ideal form. And because we have two, you don't even have to tell it you're doing a power clean. It can read your motions and things like that. And it gives you like a, a consistency number as well. So we, one thing we really talk about is, is not building muscle on top of dysfunction. We have to get your biomechanical patterns right first, and then we start putting muscle on. If you just put muscle on top of dysfunction, you're faci facilitating further dysfunction. Would you have to wear one of those on each hand? Um, I mean, I'd say the, the ideally for someone like a fighter, you obviously are thrown with both hands. Um, I, I think it would be ideal. Um, it's, it's really difficult to time sync multiple devices to be on the same timeline. So that's yeah. something we're working with this company, amazing company actually out of here out of L.A. to develop this thing right now. So that, I would say that would be the goal. It's, it's not something that's going to be applicable to the, the average guy, though, as well. This, we're, we're trying to bring this type of training to everybody. Would it be possible instead of uh, time syncing it, you have a, a left and a right computer, like two different computers that are reading data, both on one off the left, one off the right, so you don't have to coordinate them. You just look at the, the various data. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you still would have to sync them. You know, So the, the thing there, you'd be collecting it in two different sets of hardware. You'd want an API connectivity, put it up in the cloud, and then you'd still, at the end of the day, have to find the same time axis. So it, it sounds simpler than it really would be. That's why this is the only wearable in the world right now that has even one in the foot. And so this also allows you to track your gait while you're running and things as well. But the more devices, the more complex. And, and you know, that's something I, I think would be great but maybe not uh, applicable to everybody is it going to be able to track martial arts moves like will it be able to track a, a double leg takedown or a roundhouse kick or anything like that right now you can program it to do anything um you, you put it into a kind of like a learning mode on on your app you do a few motions you name it and then it can can basically compare you to yourself in that mode so you can try and do perfect form and measure your form relative to yourself but if you have shitty form, you're comparing yourself to you shitty form. Exactly. Yeah. So, so it doesn't know any better. Exactly. Yeah. So what we're doing right now, um, which, which will be a little bit of a lengthy process, is defining a library of perfect form for everything that you could think of. And then this, you know, this is going to unlock telehealth and teletraining. When you have something like that, we can do remote programming and, and have be, you know, be monitoring people's neuromuscular function, their biomechanics completely remotely. So that's, that's really what we're going towards. Wow, this is fascinating stuff, man. You know, there's always been uh, several aspects <clears throat> to getting a fighter ready for camp. There's always been their skill set, what, what they're good at, um, specific training for that one individual opponent that they're going to face, mm -hmm. and then all the strength and conditioning. And, uh, you know, it's usually thought of as, you know, weights <clears throat> and sprints and plyos and, and all these different things. But I feel like this is probably the next step. The next step, measuring all of your all these variables that you're talking about, and and seeing how your body is at any given time, so that you're not just guessing whether you're peaking. You're scientifically peaking. Exactly, man. I mean, there's there's just no room for guesswork and subjectivity, you know, at this level. And, and technology doesn't. There's no need for it anymore. So we're just trying to let people know shit like this is available, right? So we're developing it, and then the end goal is just to make it extremely user friendly, right? So you're doing your your velocity based training, and it says stop, and then you rest, and we're using your heart rate variability to tell you when to go again. So like, you know, it's easy to stop and go for your your periodization and things like that. So the the technology's here now, making it, you know actionable rec 
recommendations for the individual that can understand is, is kind of what we're moving towards. This is awesome stuff, man. Thank you. Yeah, we're it's, really passionate about what we're doing. It's crazy that you've only been around for such a short amount of time, too, and yet you already have a world champion. Oh, I know, man. I mean, <laughs> I feel, you know, there, there's times where you feel like you didn't deserve the opportunity because I'm, I'm new to the field. You know, we obviously work our asses off and everything, but the, for Henry to put the faith into us, you know, this was a world champion camp. We're a company, honestly, we're not even open yet. We're, this is, you know, probably have one of the best acceleration for a company that's never seen the light of day ever. Um, you know, we also run a few other sports as well. But yeah, for him to give us this opportunity and, you know, we felt like we, we owed him something. So we, we worked extra hard, essentially put our entire company on hold for eight weeks to, to go help him out. And, you know, it, it's paying dividends. Obviously, we're here right now. So Now, are you guys <laughs> going to be open to the general public, say the, the, the average girl or guy who does, say, jiu-jitsu tournaments and wants to get in the best shape of their life? Is there, are you going to have products for them and, and, and a service where they can sign up for something like that? Certainly. Right now, we are already open in terms of, of diagnostic testing. So you can come in uh, based on your sport, your goal, whatever it may be. We do have customized diagnostic packages because some assessments just aren't applicable to some people. So we customize your assessment. We basically tell you what you're good at, what you're bad at. Then if you want to you know, develop a program, that's a little bit of an upcharge. The, the real goal there is to be able to do completely remote training completely in-house training and then any level of hybrid training as well. So right now, you know, what the world needs is the diagnostic testing, the data. We're already ready to do that. What we're building now is the processes of being able to use data, put it into recommendations, and then scale that. It's hard to teach somebody, you know, everything that I do. So we're building the, you know, the, the softwares to essentially replicate ourselves. Like my, my buddy in the other room, Andre Hicks, one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the world. These guys will attest to it. Um, you, you can't teach people what he knows. So we have to, like, code this into a software, a lot of if-then type stuff. And then this is able to be scalable to everybody. We want to provide this training uh, to, to people, you know, the average Joe trying to lose weight, you know, the, the weekend warrior, the, the jujitsu, everything, man. We, we want to be able to provide this to everybody. Everybody deserves this type of training. That's minimal risk of injury, high yield return, efficient. That, that's what everyone's looking for. And that's, that's why, you know, the people are getting fatter. There's, there's no good positive reinforcement out there and there's no clear roadmap of how to get to where you want to be. You know, we, we put together like, you know, comparing it to Google Maps, everybody knows their endpoint. They know where they want to be, but it can't tell you where you're at unless you know exactly where you're starting from. You have to do this baseline assessment. You know, sometimes it sucks to really understand how fat your, you know, your body fat percentage and, yeah. and your metabolics and your risk of, you know, your insulin resistance and things like that. But you have to figure out where you're starting from, where you want to be. And that's how we develop a roadmap. So getting people, you know, and, and we believe this is this is the way of kind of making our way into the healthcare system as well. That's our end goal as a company to be able to provide, you know, integrative fitness is what we're calling it. Taking little pieces from all the different methodologies of, of fitness, like, you know, we, we bring meditation and yoga into our practice as well. So little pieces of just about everything and, and be able to, you know, provide this to everybody. That, that's what we're doing. So in the future, when you guys are open, you're, you're not totally open to the general public yet, right? Correct. Yeah, so, about so six or eight months. Would someone have to come to you for the first initial assessments and then possibly be able to do the consulting either online or you know, through, through their, yeah. the, the application? I mean, there's totally different degrees. Um, we have 100% remote kits right now. There's badass stuff you can do on your iPad, like biomechanical assessments that can find your joints and things like that. We can send this to you. There's a lot of things that we want to be able to do 100% remote. 
vote for the most complex assessment, you got to come in. You got to do a VO2 max assessment. We can't send you a metabolic cart and shit, obviously. So the the goal is to get people to just come into the facility and then do remote programming from there. And this is, uh, you know, our our concept is to put these diagnostic centers and possibly the attached training centers as well and just start providing these everywhere. Because frankly, if we just went, you know, the the diagnostic gym of the future route, it could be five, 600 square feet, low, you know, low overhead facilities that are just really efficient, you know, just putting people out, collecting data left and right. That's amazing, man. Yeah. Well, what has it been like for you to make this gigantic change and yeah, to basically be like Ivan Drago? Yeah, pretty much. That's that's, that's pretty much how it's kind of how it's kind of been. Like we took in that uh, the Ivan Drago approach probably more than the Rocky approach, you know. Yeah. Which, which I think I think Russians kind of tend to use science a little bit more in their training. So to me, at first, it was almost like, man, I'm going all in on uh, this, especially this camp against Demetrius. I'm like, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going all in, man. Like, I'm, I'm gonna have faith in, in the science, like a hundred percent. I'm gonna do everything according to, even, you know, even if, even if I don't want to. And that's, and I think it just, as I started seeing my body change, I started seeing like the coaches kind of adapt with, like, okay, man, science is in the center of this whole camp. And I saw the change, Joe, and I've never felt so recovered. The night that I fought Demetrius Johnson, like I've never felt so good, and I'm 31 years old, and I've been cutting weight since I've since I've been a kid. <laughs> so you felt a big difference through the entire camp doing this kind of through, method. Yeah, through the entire camp, and people would trip out and be like, people were like, "Man, you're committing, you're, you're that's suicide. How come you're not doing this? How come you're not doing that?" And uh, you would have to. What kinda, were they saying? How come you're not doing? Like what specifically? Oh no, just uh, just more work, more more pad work, more uh, more sparring rounds, like things of that matter, like the c- kind of like the gladiator stuff. Mm. And they're like, no, 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 it's it, it it's it's gonna go according to my heart rate. It's just gonna it's gonna go according to what what my windows what my train of uh, my windows of opportunity of training are. You know, it's, and people it's, are like, what kind of mumbo jumbo yeah, are like, you huh? talking? Like, you're supposed to be like, fighting. Yeah, like nobody knows. Like the day that I wake up, the day that I train, like nobody knows what's going on until 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 the data's gone in the hands of Kevin and Neuroforce yeah. One, and then they okay, they they determine this is how many rounds, this is how how we're gonna kind of peak you for your fight. If you and could imagine is, uh, standing on the sideline when he's like sparring in rounds and stuff, and we're slow down, pace your like coaches like you can't do that. This is fighting. You can't try and control your heart rate while training. No, this is training for fighting, right? You know, so we're we're tell- constantly telling him to train less, slow himself down. You, you know, there was a little bit of clashing there at the beginning, and then they started to see the body composition come around and started to, to feel his power, and, and everyone kind of bought into the process. But it, it takes a while. We're you know we're, we're redefining it, and, and we understand that there's gonna be some pushback. This is such a universal concept when it comes to strength and conditioning coaches. It's being discussed over and over again nowadays. Mm-hmm. Is it? people are doing too much yeah they're doing too much and your body just doesn't have a chance to recover and even though you're getting in better shape ultimately you're not getting in as good a shape as you could have gotten if you did less which is so counterintuitive for most people yeah and that's kind of how that's 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 kind of how I, I used to train so hard but i used to get hurt i mean i used to have back spasms kicking like that's how hard I would train. Like I, my back would literally go out just kicking. I'd throw one kick and uh, right. they had to pull me off the gym in a stretcher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and and I had those problems because I had just I I really I I didn't. You almost train according to how how uh, you know what the how the schedule is rather than okay this is this is this is the approach today because this is how this is, this is how your stress levels are. Yeah. 
like relax dude and then and then at times you're gonna go hard and it, it's it, it it'll spike you at times it's, it's it's crazy well that's the the crazy contrast right is between this championship mentality that just wants to do more than anybody mm -hmm. push harder train while everybody else is asleep put your body through more than anybody else is willing to do because that's what makes a champion and then someone like you comes along and goes no that's sleep what, more that's what fucks you up <laughs> yeah. you need to slow down you need to do less less rounds move slower yeah, exactly. I mean, that was one of the biggest things I told him. If you're not sleeping eight to ten hours a night when you're putting your body through something like that, you're, you're doing your body an injustice and you're not going to make adaptations. When we're out there training, we're breaking our body down. It needs this repair. We need to you know, activate our glymphatic system, our brain's waste removal system as well, so we can go learn some new things the next day as well. So if you're not sleeping, you're suboptimal, just like you're not properly hydrated and things as well. This, is, this is all comes down to the cellular level, you know, nervous system-based approach. Now, are you uh, taking melatonin? melatonin or anything to ensure that you go to sleep at a specific time do you time your sleep schedule like how, how are you organizing that yeah i, th I think i think and, and, and that's another thing even at times uh according to when i would go to sleep because at times you know how you train late and sometimes you come back and it, it, it just takes you a while to go to sleep yeah so even then it would it would be like all right when when henry's ready to wake up when he it, it, Obviously, if I don't hear my alarm and I, I snooze it, I'm more likely they're, they're gonna allow me to sleep an extra two hours. Mm, which so, is important. Yeah, so it's like the it's kind of like what Floyd does. Floyd will be like, "Hey, we'll wake everybody up at three in the morning." But there's no scientific to what Floyd's doing. Like to us, it's like, "Hey, dude, let's we have to peak today." So I've always if, wondered if there is science behind it, and he just doesn't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with Floyd, like you don't know. Yeah, I'd like to think so. But, yeah, like uh, when he drinks a, a Pepsi after a workout, I was like, I wonder. There's no science. Told him. <laughs> To do that to replenish his yeah. body with a, a ton of sugar. I mean, right. high glycemic carbs right after. That's the only time it's really good. That yeah. little forty-five window of insulin sensitivity. So I do believe that. And one technology we uh, while we're on the sleep thing, one that we're utilizing for Henry, um, just little light microcurrent here to your temporal lobes, and it's proven to increase serotonin and melatonin and decrease cortisol. So we're like manipulating biochemicals, and it's a very natural way of making you feel drowsy. What time do you do that coming. at? Uh, we would do that immediately following every rig training session to kind of like negate inflammatory responses and things like that you know get you back into that anabolic phase as quickly as possible and then ideally right before bed every single night did you feel like a science project while all this shit was going on i did i did actually they did a, a presentation on me in, in uh, russia with roman with the uh, with the scientists that they have at the uscpi like they tracked everything according to the omega wave the device that we were using and he was able to kind of show it was like hey look my system, my, you know, this system does work. You know, it's just like people were kind of just tripping out. So I was, I went out there, did the whole presentation with, uh, in, in Moscow. And uh, everybody was just kind of just like, everybody was kind of like, wow, amazing. Some were kind of scratching their head and some were like, damn, that's, that that's cool. You're, you're able to kind of see how I peaked for this fight and how well, I was able to kind of survive five rounds. The Russians have really been pioneering this type of training for quite a while, specifically the the type of training like that Pavel Tatsumin mm -hmm. uh, uses, like where you're using way less energy, you're working out way less, but you're getting better results from it. Like there's, there's a lot of thought processes that have, have been leaning in this direction from like a lot of really high-level top coaches for quite a while now. Yeah, no, and and it's cool to see it because I come from a traditional sport where you put your head down and you go. That's yeah, how wrestling is. Right. It's, wrestling and Muay Thai, I think they're very, uh, 
they're very alike in that sense. Like they're very traditional. Like the harder you go, the more you push through injury, the you know the better you will become. Yeah, I also think that there's something to be said for that though in terms of mental strength. Because one of the things that wrestlers have that is it's not just that they have a great skill and being able to manipulate bodies, but they also have mental toughness that's at a level that I don't think you get from any other sport. I mean, I think there's a lot of pro athletes, even tennis players, that are just mentally tough. They're just tough. So people just know how to win. They know how to push themselves. But I feel like wrestlers are on another level because they're always tired. They're always overtrained. They're always dehydrated. And they're always working out with a bunch of fucking savages <laughs> yeah. that are all the same way. And everybody takes pleasure in being miserable. Like, yeah. There's something to that. that yeah. like You see it. Man, I've seen thousands of fights. You mm -hmm. see, there's something about wrestlers. They have just like an extra gear. Like a high-level wrestler in particular has an extra gear that a lot of other fighters just n never develop. Yeah, it's it's almost like I tell people wrestling's not, it's almost like not a sport, man. It's like a culture, man. Yes. It's like the, you're just, you're, you're in the culture of wrestling. And once you have that, it's almost a, there's an honor to it. There's a warrior to it. Like, and it's, uh, yeah. it's, it's it, it. I was just at the world championships, Joe, and I can tell you, man, the best athletes in the world. I was just in Budapest, Hungary, and I saw Kyle Snyder and all these guys compete, and I'm just like, man, these are the mo these are the best athletes in the world. This is the hardest shit a human being could ever do. Yeah. If you're to see the finesse and the strength and the power and what's involved in in becoming a world champion and watching these guys go through this freaking tough, just a tough, the toughest tournament in the world, and it's uh. I think I think what we do in MMA is fun compared to compared to wrestling. <laughs> I really do. I, like, I believe like you that do. stuff is like man, that stuff is hard. What these guys go through to win a tournament, like it's the weight cuts, the uh, you know they they don't get paid a lot of money. Right. Like these dudes are literally out for the glory. Yeah, yeah all of yeah. them, each and every one of them. It's all glory. There's no financial reward at all. That's what's fascinating about it. But it's it's just interesting to me that I think. You kind of need both in some weird way. Your mind needs to develop this, this layer of toughness that wrestlers have. And then I think once you've developed that, then maybe I think your approach, Kevin, is, is, is like applicable. But I think that until an athlete has that <laughs> indomitable spirit, until they have that sort of that iron will that a wrestler possesses, it's there's to make a champion. I think you need many many things, but I I don't think you can ever discount that ability to work through discomfort the way wrestlers have. I just don't think it's wise as a professional athlete at a championship level to compete compromised. Oh, agreed. Yeah, you, you know there there's the intangibles, the stuff that you just can't teach. You can't quantify. You know, so we do our best to to quantify as much as we can. But yeah, I mean, I, I completely agree. There's you got to put in the the time and the work to learn the skill at some point, and then. Once you know it, it's autonomic, the skills master. That's when you can kind of kick I, it back into our I, method. I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you, Joe. I think I'm gonna agree with you, and I, and I think the reason why this works for pretty much every MMA fighter is because we've all been through hell. Yeah. Like in order for you to see and and believe in science, is you have to go through hell to understand. Like, hey man, the hard way probably isn't the best way. But when you were talking about your your the feeling that you had in not wanting to ever feel the pain of losing again, that feeling that you had when your ankle was going out, and that like fuck this, no no no, I'm not doing this. I'm I'm gonna find a way out of this. Like you almost have to experience lows 
in order to have that. And I, I feel like that one of the things about wrestling that makes it a sport that creates so many fucking savages is because you go through so much shit, so much hardship, mm-hmm. so, so much difficulty that, you know, if you had science-based wrestling programs the way you're doing his science-based camp and you went in and you know said everybody you gotta slow down slow down you know like mm-hmm. you, you're, you're going too hard slow down can't run up hills today you yeah. know your 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 dc <laughs> brain waves are off. your wrestling coach would be like shut the fuck up and sit there who is this asshole <laughs> yeah. you know like if dan gable brought you in a camp and you guys are running around doing all this stuff he'd be like what like what are you saying? Like this <laughs> yeah. is how we make champions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, it, like I said, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's for to me the way I would see it is like you have to kind of go through how in order yeah. to understand it because you have to go through that callus, through that burn. Yeah. But I but I feel like especially in MMA, a lot of athletes or even athletes just in general, they everybody busts their butts almost. If you're an elite athlete, like you'll you'll always train maybe not the smartest way. Yeah. You know, like it's uh. Uh, yeah, I, I, I guess you could add more to to your training or or or, 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 or take away less, but there's a but there's a fine line to it. Yeah, the fine line is what's fascinating to me. Yeah, uh, like I, one of the things that I love about MMA is that it's so broad. There are so many skills that the, the approach to success is different with every individual, and you have to find what that approach is. Like the approach to you. For your for you for you to achieve success is going to be different than the approach for a different athlete. It doesn't doesn't have the same skills that you have. But like Anderson Silva, perfect example. He's not a wrestler. He's going to have a different different approach. Mm-hmm. There's there's going to be different things that they work on in training. There's going to be a different mindset. There's going to be a different way of preparing. Right, right, and, and and it's all according to everybody. According, like not. It's I, I think a lot of things are cookie cutter. Like looking at it the way now, it's like a lot of things have have stayed even in wrestling like just over tradition you know like bridging like dude every time i see people bridging the way they stretch the neck i'm just like dude that ain't good for us man that shit's so bad for your neck and and then they be doing like these like springs on their head i'm just like kevin how bad is that how bad is bridging for you uh i mean i I wouldn't recommend it i mean uh it but mike tyson always looked badass when he was doing it i was gonna say it looks pretty badass so i mean (laughs) (laughs) teach their own but have you ever fucked around with the iron neck with the iron neck. What's you don't know that? about that? No. Oh, I got one back there. <laughs> Those things are badass, yeah. You gotta try this. I man. saw some of your videos. That's definitely one of the missing links why a lot of these wrestlers get hurt. They, you know, neck yeah. instability, the you know, postural issues that come associated with it as well. These guys need to strengthen their necks. It's a halo. You put it on, mm-hmm. you pump it up like a Reebok pump. Remember the Reebok yeah, yeah, pump? Yeah, the shoes. Yeah. You <laughs> pump this sucker up so it tightens up on your head. You put a chin strap on. It's got a, a bungee cable on that's set to 50 pounds. Uh-huh. You back up. And then there's resistance on the halo, so it spins. The resist, the halo has like you could tighten up or clamp down or loosen up the resistance. And you do these exercises like you go sideways. You do like 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 loops back and forth. It's it's fucking badass. Damn, that's that's crazy. I'm I'm excited, man. I don't, you know, I gotta. Yeah, you gotta try. Is that it. why I signed that waiver? Is that? A- <laughs> <laughs> no, you signed a waiver because you're gonna get a hold of some of that weed. I don't want you running through walls. All right. Now the. <laughs> 
And then the float tank. If you want to try oh the float tank, that's the waivers for it too. I don't want you to lose your mind. Yeah, but. the sensory immersion, the, those float tanks are pretty badass. We study those quite a bit for the nervous system-based stuff. We're, we're building kind of our own sensory immersion, like mindfulness room of the future as well. Like all the walls, LED screens, so you could put yourself fully immersed in any environment. And mm. you know, it, it's going to be pretty badass. Mindfulness is, is so overlooked in these sports, how, how important. I know you're, you're a meditation guy as well. It's, you know, get, getting your mind right is, is you know, invaluable. Yeah, and you were saying that meditation and yoga is also a part of the preparation that you guys employ? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it all comes down to, you know, when we're doing our, our warm-up, training, and recovery, it's all mind and body. So his warm-up is going to include, like, somatosensory reaction testing. So imagine, like, a, a wall, and it has different lights on it. You react as quickly as you can as soon as they light up. And then I say, all right, if the light comes up red, use your right hand, and blue, use your left hand. So we're invoking cognitive decision-making processes. Then we have you stand on one of these shapes plates a proprioceptive plate now your vision your neuromuscular your proprioceptive everything is warmed up everything every part of your brain that's going to equate to you know force output absorption and so on then we go do a more traditional warm-up whatever that may be we do a uh, cognitive training we do physical training more from a functional aspect and then as soon as you're done we get you into a mind-based recovery as well so we get you into yoga meditation that you know technology we're playing with right now that manipulates your biochemicals um, you know just just about everything man it, it's a mind and body every step along the way and when you're doing yoga are you doing yoga to increase mobility are you doing it for the mental training for both like um I, definitely a little bit of both we, we believe um andre more leads the the yoga what, what we're doing over there so he'd be better to ask specifically but we believe it largely for nervous system and for breathing uh one thing we really talk about is the diaphragmatic breathing and yoga is really a calm environment to be able to focus on your breathing what does that mean diaphragmatic breathing diaphragmatic breathing yeah breathing from your diaphragm this is how we're all born breathing from our diaphragm and just, you know, eventually we end up breathing from our chest, which is very ineffective um, for metabolic efficiency What's in general. Different? Like, explain, like, what is Just it? like when you see, like, you know, the Wim Hof guy, he's right. always breathing from his gut here. And that's like right. en engaging your core as opposed to just like your chest. So you're actually getting deeper breaths. You're en encouraging, like, core stability and things mm -hmm. as well. It's better for metabolic efficiency. So when you're actually exercising, it's better for delaying anaerobic threshold, buffering lactate, things like that, as well as keeping the nervous system calm as well. Do you think there's any benefit to breathing through your nose and out through your mouth, or is that? Um, I, I, yeah, I'd say it's an, on an individualized basis. I think if it, the best thing is to not think about your breathing. When you start thinking about it, it can kind of get fucked up. So if we encourage diaphragmatic breathing without this, this technology we utilize is actually, even though when you're utilizing the technology, you're just breathing in, in and out through your mouth, it actually encourages in through the nose, out through the mouth when you're training. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert specifically on that, but it sounds, yeah, I, th I think there's definitely yeah, some performance I, advantage to it. I, I want to talk MMA now, Joe. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate yeah. it. I and mean, this guy will, uh, He's got going on all day. Yeah. I love it, Kevin. So, Thank you so much, of course, man. man. That, was, that was amazing, really. Yeah, of course. And tell people where they could find out about your company and where, what your website is. Uh, our company is in Scottsdale, Arizona. The website is neuroforce1one.com. Check us out. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. That was very informative. It's intense shit, Henry, son. Henry's now become the standard because, uh, like he said, that uh, Roman from the Performance Institute did that, did that PowerPoint presentation for UFC Moscow. He told us he's the first athlete that ever did eight weeks, that they have eight weeks collection of data. So Henry's now become the standard of the system that uh, Roman had NeuroForce One and all the data put together. It's the first time ever that an athlete actually stuck to the program for eight weeks. That's fantastic. So for you now, you got the title, and there is talk about you fighting 
for the bantamweight title against champion TJ Dillashaw. What are your thoughts? Like, where where are you at right now? Like, what are you? Man, what are your goals? It's it's a beautiful time to be uh, to be the champ. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, there's there's tons of tons of options, Joe. You know, Where's there's... your contract at right now? Well, uh, I have I still have about seven fights left, mm. you know. But I, I'm gonna I'm, we're gonna renegotiate. Cause I, th I think more likely that TG fight might might happen. Gotta that, happen. That TG fight might happen if you know if if it's gonna be a done with with uh, with the flyweight division. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I think the cat's out the bag and. You know, Dana had had mentioned that to me. He said, "Hey, so, you know, we we're gonna, we want to take you up on that offer of you are challenging to go up against TJ, but this is what this is who the company's been thinking about for a while." Mm -hmm. And TJ's down for it too. I, I don't think so. I think TJ wants to come down to twenty five, and mm. uh, I think I think that's kind of like the like the that's delay a little point. bit. Yeah. Now, would you rather fight him at thirty five so that you can get an additional title, or would you rather fight him at thirty five because you don't have to cut weight? Or what's your I, thought process? I don't. I, I like both ideas. I actually kind of left it off to him. I says I don't know, but I, I want to fight you, man. I said I want to fight TJ. I want to. I want to go out to the next best thing, and that's. I think that's him. You know. I think so you don't I, mind fighting him at twenty five or thirty five? Yeah, I don't. That makes it easier. Yeah. That's that definitely makes. Yeah, it I'm just like, hey, let's let's do that 25, let's do that 35, but let's uh, let's fight, man. That's where your your mind is right now. That's your number one goal. Yeah, yeah, and and I, I believe TJ wants to fight me too. I think, uh, I think you know, beating Demetrius, I think that kind of that's gonna help his name. You know, you know, it's sure. for, I guess for both, you can say. Yeah. You know? So. Uh, but now that Demetrius has left the division and gone off to one FC to get. Buku. <laughs> <laughs> Where um, where do you think the division is right now? I mean, I, um, is that one reason? Like, if you won at thirty five and won the title at thirty five, would you consider dropping the twenty five pound title and competing at thirty five, or would you rather stay at twenty five? Ah, uh, I would. I wouldn't mind. I wouldn't mind dabbling in both. I mean, I know that's uh, that's kind of that's kind of broad, but you know, at one point you do get tired of cutting weight, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of. Uh, what do you weigh right now? I'm I'm probably about probably about fifty. 50. Yeah, one. And, uh, I mean, losing 15 pounds is way better than losing 25 pounds. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 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 I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little bigger now, uh, because, of, because of that reason, I might, I might have to fight at, uh, at bantam. Some kind of, uh, I think more likely it might happen at bantamweight. What's, so, what people don't know is that actually Henry almost fought TJ when he was the champ. When Hennenberau didn't make weight, his first fight in the UFC, he didn't make weight. But two hours later, Hennenberau didn't make, make weight, and they were looking for somebody to go up and fight TJ. You mean when Joe Soto fought him? When yeah. Joe Soto fought him, Henry was the uh -huh. number one option. But Henry had already declined. Uh, he said he wasn't fighting Jorgensen. And, but now here we are, three years later, back now. He's got the, tent, he's got the belt. TJ came back and won the belt. Let's do it. These guys been beefing for uh, for a long time, so that's ever since the first day he ever f came into the UFC. Him and TJ have been at it. And then on the Ultimate Fighter, Ultimate Fighter 24, they had uh, Dwayne Bang was the coach. There was like a little beef with Henry and, and uh, Benavidez's team, Benavidez's coach. So it kind of goes way back. So mm. There's a, a bit of animosity too, on top of everything. Now you're a very goal-oriented guy. Do you uh, do you have your career mapped out in terms of like when you would like to get out of the game? I do, I do, and I think about it a lot. Cause man, I I'll be honest with you, Joe. I've uh, I've accomplished everything I've ever wanted to. Uh, 
you know, in, in my career. Like I've always, I had, I had three goals and I was just, you know, my number one goal was just to be a good person, my good father, a good husband. And then after that was to be an Olympic champ and then, and then, and then eventually UFC champ. So everything's kind of, uh, I, I've, I've done everything in that I've ever kind of set my mind to, you know, those are the two biggest things, the two manliest right, thing anybody right. could ever sure. do. And, uh, I don't see myself fighting for more than for more than maybe three to four years. The only other thing you really are in this rare space where you have the possibility of being considered one of the greatest combat sport athletes of all time. I mean, you're already in the mix, right? Mm -hmm. Olympic gold medalist, UFC champion. I mean, you you have this very rare opportunity for incredible greatness. Yeah. I think for the most part, I mean, I like to uh, eventually, I mean, I, I, I do a lot of motivational speaking. Uh, I've been doing that for a while, Joe. I've spoken in front of, like, the biggest the biggest companies in the world. I mean, the Coca-Cola, like, the TD Ameritrade, uh, Procter & Gamble, billion-dollar company. I just got signed by Kroger. Um, and, and they kind of, you know, they use me for, for, for that reason. And I, and I really enjoy doing that. And, and, plus, and plus, you get paid. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to get leg kicked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't have to get leg kicked and hit that nerve and do the drunken monkey. Yeah, yeah. you don't got to do all that. Yeah. And, and, and it's just cool. It's just cool to kind of share the, 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 you know, the whole underdog story. I love that people do do that, that companies have the 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 mindset of bringing in champions mm-hmm. and people that are extraordinary at whatever they do and speaking to these, you know, these people that work for them and explaining like what, mm-hmm. they, I mean, that motivation is gigantic. Motivation is such a huge f- source of fuel for yeah. people in all walks of life. Mm-hmm. You know, to have a guy like you come in and talk to a company could have a really big impact on their creativity, on, on how they pursue goals, on all, all kinds of different f- things. Yeah, so that, that's so. Anyways, that's kind of where I kind of I can see my life kind of heading to now. I, you know, eventually, I don't think I can. I don't think I. I think I'll always be a fan of the sport, but I don't think I'll be involved in in either wrestling or fighting as much as I think I would. Not as a coach. Not as no, no. no it, it's too hard, Joe. Like, look at all these these coaches. It's it's a, it's a relationship. Yeah, you know, being a coach is you're you're in a relationship with uh, with your athletes. Sometimes you go through these breakups and. Sometimes the athletes don't give you what they want to give you, and then it's just uh, it's a headache at times. Yeah, and I see that with I see that with a lot of, you know, I see that with him, and I'm just like, man, I don't know if I want those stress levels. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of stress. Well, Eric, for a guy like you, you you get across a guy like Henry, you hit the gold mine, but you could get across a guy who is a really talented guy that's a flake, and those to to me personally. There's plenty of those. But to me, as an analyst, as someone who watches fights, they're the most frustrating. Because there's some guys that I see and I go, God damn, that motherfucker's good. He's yeah. got the potential. Like, they can do things inside the octagon. They do things. Like, I'll see guys in the gym. Like, I'll go to a gym and watch guys train and see the guy. And I go, if this motherfucker could put it together like this in the cage, the way you see when he's sparring. Yeah. Like, th- some people are just artists. Yeah. But the anxiety of competition... And and all the factors that come involved, the discipline, the consistency, all the things that make someone a great fighter sometimes. There's so much, so many different things that make someone a great fighter that wind up fucking them up when, when they, they actually go to compete. The, the recklessness, impulsiveness that actually makes them good also can wind up tanking them if they don't sort of forge it with, with, with some sort of like severe discipline. Yeah, there, there has to be a training of the mind. 
too. And, and I think that's where people are skipping. And, uh, you know, I, I think that's that's where you have to understand, like, the philosophy up here. Like, you have to you have to be right up top. You have you to be right. You have, you, have to to be, be... you have to be literally, you have to understand and know who you are as a fighter, as a person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to kind of to be stable enough to perform at when when it really matters yeah you know and if if you don't have that you can be as talented and and, and as gifted as you want you'll you'll never make it yeah and, and we see those all the time like i'd see guys in practice man they would tear me up they came to competition they would just roll roll over like fish it's weird right yeah it's crazy i'm like huh yeah, it's weird as you're coming up and you see those guys mm-hmm. and you you realize like man there's there's something missing and then you 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 you're terrified you're going to see that in yourself. And I think it's the embracement of embracing pressure. Mm. It's something that you don't neglect, it's something that you don't shy away from, it's something that you don't allow dam- to damage you, but it's an embracement. It's a, it's just like hey, bring it man, bring it cuz that's what it is, Joe. It, it's the pressure that people feel, the reason why they can't perform. It's what exactly. makes champions. I remember when TJ Dillashaw first fought Henan Barrow, um when he got into that octagon, dude, he looked like he was sparring. He was loose as a goose. Yeah. And and I and I saw him, I'm like, damn, look how loose TJ is. Like this mm-hmm. is a world title fight and he's switching stances and giving him looks and he looks fantastic. He just looked loose and then boom he hits him with that big overhand right and next thing you know, Henan Burrell's getting fucked up. Yeah. I mean, and that was what TJ thrives on that kind of pressure. He lives for that kind of pressure, just like you do. Yeah. Which is why I wanna see that fight. <laughs> Let's do it. I want his head on a. I want his head. I want his head on a spike. <laughs> we both That's what do. I want. I want. I want to make. I want to make some snake shoes out of out of TJ, man. Snake skin, I want baby. Snake skin shoes. Maybe suit. I think he might be big enough for me. Yeah. What what a, what a fight that would be for fans too. I mean, it's uh, those champion versus champion encounters are always so fantastic. No, and the reason why it's cool too is because we're both in our prime too. Mm-hmm. Like TJ's probably a couple years older than me, but even with like Demetrius, like dude, I'd be Demetrius in his prime. Like yeah, it was a close yeah. fight, but man, I I can say dude, I I beat him in his prime. In his yeah. prime, and it's you, just almost like there's no doubt. But it was it was because of the game planning. And you ended the greatest winning streak in the history of the sport. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the greatest championship def- defense streak in the history of the sport. And then on top, I mean, Nurmagomedov has the greatest winning streak in the sport because he's, you know, he's still undefeated. But as far as defending the title, DJ was number one. And again, you did it to him in his prime. If you look at the way he destroyed Wilson Hayes, if you look at, like, I mean, fucking everybody, just everybody man. Moraga. Everybody, just he's a monster. Ray man. Borg, the greatest yep. submission in that was the craziest history. shit of all time. He fucking suplexes him and then catches an arm bar on the way down. Get the fuck out of here! And he told me he does that in training all the time. <laughs> shit, I believe. Yeah, it. Matt Hume is a wizard. A wizard. One of the things that I did that was kind of unconventional, unconventional for this camp. I had them video edit. We obviously we scouted Demetrius Johnson. But then I went back and got every one-minute clip of Matt Hume's uh, uh, interval between rounds. So 25 fights, I have the one minute, what he tells him, how he adapts and changes. And one of the things I noticed is that he always went to wrestling. And when he always went to wrestling, he sounded like it was automatic. All right, so this round we're going to take him down and we're going to work. It was always automatic. And when it went into the fifth round, it wasn't automatic. You can hear him say... 
you could try to take him down if you want. It was kind of like that the way he said it. Mm-hmm. And when I went back and watched and I was like, we got him. And uh, going into that fifth round, one of the things that we talked about subliminally and, and mentally uh, training was when we went, Henry was just put in the Hall of Fame, you know, he, which has never been done at such a young age. As a wrestler. And, yeah. As a wrestler. Yeah, wrestling. And when I was at the Wrestling Hall of Fame, Nate Carr, who's also one of the greatest wrestlers ever, he told me, he said, you know what, Eric? When I wrestled Kenny Monday and I lost to him in the Big Tens, I knew that when I went out two weeks later to fight him in the NCAA Finals, that it might come up that, that, that man, this guy just beat me. And he goes, so I had a book. Actually, I think he said his wife made his book. Uh, and he put all the positive things that, that um, Nate Carr had done and all the articles. And she made quotes from that and put it in this book. So he gave me that idea, and then I did that. So Henry was put in the Hall of Fame. That night, they had a video highlights. They had Terry Brands, his coach. They had uh, Sergey Belaglazov, Kenny, Kevin Jackson, some of the greatest, all his coaches, saying stuff about him. And I took that, and I put it in this book. And it kind of like, I read it to him every day, and it kind of like uh, happened in the fight. One of his own quotes was said, I've got to go in there and kill and be ready to die. And, the, and, you know, when he got that leg injury, you know, he was ready to die. He was ready to keep going forward. Yes, we adapted and, and went southpaw, but uh, some of that stuff in the book came exactly true. Start fast and, and finish even stronger. Compete with p- passion and, and, uh, and purpose. And this is what I said to him right here. And the fifth, uh, <laughs> he's he's and the been fifth, waiting uh, all day to show you this oh, shit. Yeah. Because this is what I told him going into the fifth round uh, when we was four, let's see two to two. Let's, let's see. Let's hear it. Shit, let me see. I said, let's throw Henry. Burn the ships. Take the fucking castle. Let's take him down. Hurt him on the ground. If he gets back up, knock his ass out. And that's what I told him going into the fifth round. Are you shake selling him. that shirt? We, I think we only had one or two, but we should. It says the messenger. So, uh, you know, it's just uh, something that... I was ingraining into him every, uh, every sparring session. I had something said for him. But this time, going into the fifth round against DJ, I wasn't sure if it was 2-2 two to two or if he needed a knockout. How did you feel? I thought it was 2-2. Two to two. I thought it was 2-2. Two to two. And I think, I, think, I think DJ, from the interviews that I've heard, I think he felt like it was 2-2 two, two going into the fifth. Yeah, we thought it was 2-2. Two, two. When we were watching the fight, we're like, "Damn, this is as close as it gets." Yeah, Which and was it, yeah, and again, Joe, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like, like I said, I could, I because it, it was such a close fight, dude. I'd, 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 I'd clap for Demetrius too if they would have gave them the the fight. Like, I, I, I know it was close, you know. Um, what did you weigh? The, I was actually, I was actually a pound lighter than uh, than Demetrius. I don't know if you really? knew that. Yeah. Wow, you looked bigger. <laughs> yeah. You really did. But that's again, that's that's Arrow kind Force of one. that's kind of where they the, the way they placed like my muscle, like it was. Uh, that's why I looked bigger. But no, I was a pound lighter than Demetrius Johnson. What did you weigh? Night that one forty one. Ah, wow. That's because when you you saw you guys standing together in the octagon, you really did look bigger than him. It's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not. I was. I was lighter than Demetrius. People, FYI. <laughs> and he kept on saying. He said it twice. He's so big. He's so strong. He said it twice in his post interview. Well, that's wrestling strength, right? Wrestling it's, strength it's, is just a different kind of strength. Well, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's sometimes it's not even strength. It's leverage. Mm-hmm. It's learning how to use how to how to tippy toe things and how to use your weight to to pressure your opponent or to take them down. For sure. Yeah, but there's also strength. 
I mean, yeah. there's some cre- creepy <laughs> yeah. strength that wrestlers yeah. have. Yeah. Yeah, anybody's ever rolled with a wrestler knows that. Yeah, like, yeah I guess if you're If you right. could see the transformation that he had from the eight weeks, from the beginning to the end. Man, there's a documentary. These guys filmed the whole entire thing. Are you guys going to put it out? You putting the documentary out? Yeah, we're gonna put. Yeah, I think we're gonna put it out sometime in. The, I think in the spring, but it's gonna come out. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. It's gonna be nice. I think it, we're, we're gonna try to pitch it to uh, to Netflix. Nice. Beautiful. That'd be huge. The whole process. The messenger. Uh, yeah. The messenger. And don't forget, uh, as not only was he fighting for the title, this guy was fighting for his life only eight months before in the Santa Rosa fires. So yeah, his story is very inspirational. That's a crazy fucking story in and oh, of itself. Yeah, you actually burned the bottom of your feet running, escaping a fire that yeah. snuck up on you like lightning speed, huh? Yeah, it was. It was. A, it was the craziest thing that's probably ever happened to me. And I've, and I've done some crazy things. Yeah, they documented it in the UFC pre-show, like uh-huh. when they, they showed like all the damage to the area where you were living. It's <laughs> fucking terrifying. Yeah, it was crazy. I, uh, I, anyways, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess this is where people kind of share their stories, right? Sure. But it's, uh, yeah. So this was about a year ago now. So this was, uh, yeah, about a year ago now. And I, I got invited to this event with, uh, you know, raising, raising raising money for kids and cancer. And everybody in there, every every big celebrity gets invited, like Jerry Rice, like Barry Bonds, like the like the the big A list celebrities. And everybody was there, and uh, we had a fundraiser that night in you know wine country in Santa Rosa, California, you know. And everybody, you know, everybody had their drinks or whatnot. You know, I had I had a couple glasses, maybe I had a few glasses of wine, but I don't I don't drink wine. But I had a few glasses, and I remember I told everybody, hey, I'm going to sleep, guys. And it was close to about midnight. I was like, I ain't trying to stay up with these people. And I'm trying, I'm trying to sleep because I, I never drink wine. So I go to my room, and, uh, and then I, I shower, get into bed. And, and uh, I remember right before I went to bed, I remember I, I saw, like, the flickering of lights. And I just like, I thought it was weird. And this was roughly by the time I got to my hotel, I showered, I saw the flickering of lights. I didn't think anything of it. And uh, I, I pass out 2.30 hits, 2.30 in the morning hits, and I'm just, uh, I'm just you know, I, I wake up because I hear the alarm, you know, kind of pop off at the, at the hotel. So now I'm hearing these alarms starting to go off, and I've, you know, I checked out, I checked out in front, I checked out uh, through the window, and I checked out at the lobby, nobody was moving, so I was like, it's a false alarm. So I grabbed the pillow, put it over my head, and I freaking slept through the alarm. And this, that happened about two thirty. Now four thirty comes about, and this time I don't wake up. I don't wake up because of the alarm. I wake up because of the smoke. I'm like coughing on my. I'm like coughing on the smoke. And at first I thought I was dreaming. So I wake up, and I, at that time I had, I had, uh, you know, I slept in my towel. That's how tired I was. And I got up, and I go to turn on the lights, and the lights ain't turning on. And then I go through the window, and I check the window, and next you know, and I see the car right in front of me on fire. Uh, three fourths of the hotels. Like I was probably about five rooms away from like getting hit hard. Like I'm talking about like like fire coming out the window, and like that. And I'm waking up to this, like thinking I'm dreaming, you know, in a towel, and uh, the lights. Everything was dark, but I could see everything. Like it, like the room started getting hot, and I couldn't I couldn't hold my breath no more. I started looking for my my shoes. I couldn't find my shoes, and I I bumped into my slacks that I left them on the ironing board the, the night before, and I put them on and. I, I grabbed I grabbed uh, I grabbed my phone and I jumped out the window. I jumped out the window as I jumped out the window. My right foot catches on fire. <laughs> my right foot catches on fire fast, and I'm looking at kind of I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of, you know, trying to put it out. And it's crazy how I can see how people could catch on fire real quick, because my my right leg was like boom. It was it was crazy. Wow. So I jump out and I start walking. As as I'm walking, I'm seeing like this. The, the whole town in front of us was all in sticks, dude. Like the whole thing was just in sticks. Like the the fire had just ate that thing up. 
there's a building in front of me on, on fire. Like, I'm just walking through the streets, going up the hill. I'm just thinking, like, God, it'd be a horrible way to die. <laughs> horrible way to die. Fuck. And I got a, I got a bird's eye view when I was on top of the, uh, when I was on top of the hill. And then I saw there's a cop down there. There's a cop down uh, in the middle of the freeway. I'm just like, you know, that's, that's where I got to go. So now I'm running fast, and I'm seeing as this brush fire kind of come along. And just I'm seeing, like, California, like, just catch on fire, like, completely, like, through my eyes. I jump over the first fence to get to the freeway, you know, no problem. I jump over the second fence. And then the third fence, it was, uh, it was a very, like, a flimsy uh, kind of fence. And I remember as I as, as I jumped out, I remember it snagged like part of my slacks. I keep in mind I was I, I had uh, the only thing I had on was slacks. I like I was commando, slacks, <laughs> no shirt, no shoes, like out in the cold in California. And as I, that flimsy fence, as I, as I jumped off that last fence, it like cut, it like a part of the fence. I like, grabbed my butt and it just it, it cut me open hard, and it tore like half the leg. So now I'm full of I'm, I'm full of smoke. My right foot's burned, and uh, I'm I'm pretty much half naked <laughs> in the middle of the freeway. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! So I see the cop car, and I go up to the cop car, and as I'm going up to it, I'm sorry, the freaking cop car leaves, oh. like fucking just scrambles. I'm just like, oh my god! And as soon as that cop car left, uh, I remember seeing like this big ass diesel like coming towards me, and ever getting into the middle of the freeway and kind of you know waving my hands like, dude, you gonna take me out? I ain't dying like this. Like hit me, dude. <laughs> and uh, as it got closer, I saw it was a fire truck, and I and I get rescued. I get rescued by the firemen. <sighs> they put me in the fire truck, and they're just kind of like looking at me, like, "Damn, do you just you just survived death, dude? Damn, you just survived death because I was black, dude. I already smelled like a marshmallow." Did anybody die in the hotel? Fifty. Fifty people died in. Uh, and I'm sorry, in the hotel, and I'm not sure if anybody died at the hotel. I hope not, but I could see how. Fifty people died in the but, town. Yeah, it was it was a worse. No, yeah, fifty people died, fifty families. Like it was it was it was sad to hear, man. So it just happened quick. The, those yeah. fires come so quick. People don't realize it's before it's too late, and then there's no escape route. And and I think the reason why, because I think people had time to get out. I think the reason why fifty people died is because they didn't take the the, the alarm like me serious. And actually, no, it was too late because that that smoke will blind you. So you think you're going to, into the right direction, and next you know you're walking into the, the biggest fire in history. Jesus Christ! So, so that had happened like two months before I fought Sergio Pettis, and I, and I and I still fought him. Like I trained with two socks, my, just with with the with the wrestling shoe, and I just stuck it out because uh, I pulled out the first fight with him. I says I I got I got to make it up to you, and I told him I says Hey, I I said I owe you one, and then he kind of called me out on it. I was like Ah, oh, dude, I'm gonna fight you regardless now, man. With 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 uh, with uh, first degree burns on my foot, or I'm sorry, uh, third degree burns on my foot. Wow. Well, I'm glad you made it, man. <laughs> yeah, the, here I am, 2018 uh, UFC champ. I'm glad you made it, and uh, I'm glad we could do this podcast. Thanks for doing this, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, no, for sure. Thank thank you, Joe. I've been a been a big fan of your show, and uh, hope you guys got some good insight on the messenger and, and Captain America over here. <laughs> we certainly did. We Good definitely stuff. did. This and awesome. uh, and Kevin as well. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you, Eric. Thank All you. Right. Bye, everybody.